Hi, and welcome to the Luminaries In and Out of Sect podcast, a show about the moon and how astrologers embody and relate to it. My name is S.P. Hall, and I'm your host. In today's episode on the Aquarius moon as the Luminary Out of Sect, I speak with the astrologer Justin Plunkett. We talk about the placement of his moon in the sixth whole sign house, but also talk about many other things, such as the multifacetedness of astrological placements, how to become a professional astrologer, nourishment, timing, moon plants, meeting death intentionally, mutual aid and the mycorrhizal network, access to resources and social justice, anger and intellectualization and masculinity, secondary progressions, the benefits of somatic therapy, and intuitive plant medicine. In addition, I also wanted to mention that I recently launched a website for the podcast, as well as for my own services. If you enjoy this podcast, you can support this work by becoming a free or paid member or offering a one-time donation. I really appreciated those that have supported so far as it really aids me in doing this work. Please visit my website for more information. Now for this rich, dense, nutritious conversation that I had with Justin. I hope you enjoy it. Please be sure to check out the links to Justin's website and socials below, as well as links to some of the resources that we touch on in this conversation. Hey, Justin, thank you so much for being with me today. How are you doing? Hey, uh, I'm doing really well, and I'm also excited to be here and excited to be invited into this lunar space and talk about moon things. Yeah, I'm excited as well. It's absolutely my pleasure to have you. Um, I think I wanted to get started first by just having you provide um, a brief or not so brief if you if you want to expand uh, introduction to yourself, your you know philosophical perspective on astrology, as well as some of the influences and teachers that you've had along the way. Yeah, definitely. Um, so my name is Justin, uh, he, him, pronouns, and I feel like I am a multitude of things. I think a lot of people say that, and I also feel just like, I think the word is an amalgamation of like, all the past teachers and friends and convos I've ever had. So I am queer. I'm a lover of the earth, uh, creative, definitely into astrology. That's why we're here. But also a few other things like herbalism and alchemy. Alchemy is actually what brought me into astrology originally. And then the last few years, acupuncture has really shown up in my life too. So it's interesting. All these little practices that start with A's keep following me, following me around, but <laughs> I really enjoy it. Just how like all three of those things are about like our lived experience on earth and the macrocosm, microcosm stuff and, you know, our bodies being a reflection of the universe. And so, yeah, all of those things are really special to me. Also, I've learned over the years that I'm an HSP, a highly sensitive person. Mm. And so much, yeah, have just grown a lot after learning about that framework and like learning um, more concepts and wordings around my inner worlds and such. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure we'll get that into that more as we get into the chart and things. Also, just wanted to say I've had a journey with chronic health conditions, and I feel like that will also come up with what we talk about, the placements and stuff. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's been a mutable journey, so I wouldn't say it's like one specific. Like, 
chronic illness or anything, but it's definitely like a pattern of chronic conditions. So um, yeah, those are some of the identities that I bring along with me. Um, I grew up in Texas in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, south of like the Trinity River watershed. Mm. Um, and the nature out there was like, like open fields, uh, open skies, a lot of stars. So that was really nice growing up to have that really like open upper space around me, but mm. also everything around me was very like dry and like in the summer, the grass is dead and uh, it can be a pretty like oppressive heat out there. Mm. Um, but when I, when I, as I've started to get closer into like, you know, my relationship with the earth and like herbalism, I do try to think back to that time in my life and think about like, what is it that I really value about that land that I grew up on? Mm. And I always come back to like the limestone creeks um, and the cedar trees. Mm. And they weren't actually cedar trees because I think that like at that low, lower elevation, it's not the same kind of species. It was actually like a juniper species. Mm. But um, yeah, those trees were always really special to me and um, held a good space, I guess you could say. Um, so yeah, I think back to those whenever I think about the land there. But about seven years ago, I moved out to the Blue Ridge Mountains, um, out in the Appalachian Mountains, um, the land of the Eastern Cherokee people. Mm. And also, like more specifically, I guess I'm in the Asheville, North Carolina area. Okay. Um, but it's so gorgeous out here, just like really lush, diverse forests that it's like a temperate rainforest. I don't know if um, many people know that, but it's... Mm. Yeah, it's like one of the most biodiverse regions of the country. Um, I think anywhere that is a rainforest or a temperate rainforest holds a ton of bi biodiversity. But um, yeah, it's just a really special place. Um, like I said, coming from Texas where it was like oppressive heat and like pretty much just like hot or cold. Mm. Um, it was nice for me to move to a place that has four seasons and get yeah. to know the different times of year and the different elements and how those show up in the body and whatnot. Um, and yeah, there's a river that flows through town called the French Broad River. That's the colonial name. There's a few different other names for it at different like parts of the river, but it's apparently like the second oldest river in the world. And oh, wow, yeah, it like flows from the south to the north, like the Nile does. Mm. Just a few rivers in the world do that. And these mountains themselves are also like some of the oldest mountains in the world too. Um, connected to a few other like mountain chains across the world too, originally from Pangea, I guess. But yeah, they're like, these mountains used to be as tall as the Himalayans and full of just like snow quartz and different kind of quartz um, minerals that over time, apparently like the sand in Florida like comes from the weathered down mountains of the Appalachians. And so like, wow. Yeah, like zooming I out. Not, I did not know that. Right? Like, zooming out into that deep time perspective is super cool for me to to think about and yes me and some of my friends call these mountains like the grandmother mountains because mm. I, I think technically with how old they are they should be like weathered away at this point and like totally just like flattened but they still have these beautiful just like never-ending blue hills so yeah. yeah I just wanted to bring people into a little bit of that enchantment of the place that I get to um yeah, I guess live on it's you know land ownership is like a weird concept of course oh my gosh yes <laughs> yeah but but I think that the land here has been really 
really gracious to me and taught me so much. And mm. it is a really unique place because not everyone that moves here stays. And I don't like to use the word initiation lightly, but I feel like this land really does kind of like, like invite you in. And it's like, all right, are you going to be serious about your growth? Like, are you going to mm. put in the work? And yeah, so a lot of people that I know that have lived here or still live here have that same consensus of like, yep, these mountains, like if they call you out here, like listen. And then, mm. and yeah, there's just like, you can go here to like the top of a mountain and like journal and there's like no one around. And you're, like, it's very good for my Jupiter energy of just like posting up in these blue mountains and having perspective and stuff. So, yeah. so yeah, that was a long way to introduce myself, but curious to hear your thoughts there. But- but a great way. I really, I really appreciated that. And that was, that was beautiful. And it also, I mean, it has me thinking about so much. I, I have a personal relationship with the Appalachian mountains as well. Nice. I grew up in New York city and makes me wonder, uh, I, I grew up in a beach town in New York city and it makes me wonder mm. where that, where that sand come from, comes from, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, people don't, um, realize that New York is low key a beach town. Um, uh, Mm-hmm. They think about Manhattan and all the urbanity, but uh, the water surrounding New York is so important. And I think that uh, I grew up in a kind of difficult area for me. Like it wasn't a place I felt comfortable, um, but I always returned to that beach, you know, as like a spiritual place for me uh like a grounding place for me spiritually and so it's really interesting to hear you talk about um finding those natural elements uh in places um where the human components can perhaps you know not to infer anything about your experience growing up but like human components can be somewhat difficult sometimes not always the easiest and finding finding some solace in, in the, uh, in the nature. And I, I really love the Appalachians because I'm not familiar with how it is, um, down in, you know, North Carolina, but, uh, I remember being a kid and driving through with my dad and, uh, the, just being like, um, you know, like the, that child mind of like thinking broccoli is on top of the mountains because like they're <laughs> they're not like your regular like jagged rocky mountains. Exactly, like they're yeah. covered in this lush life. Um, yeah, so much, so many trees, and yeah, just thinking about the beauty of that particular shade of green. Uh, yeah, it's just really really interesting, and I think it's an important thing to do to reflect on the natural elements of where we are born and raised and come up and and what kind of relationship we have with the land because I I think the thing that came to mind when you know um you talked about like the mountains saying like are you really going to grow the the question that came to mind is like are you really going to prioritize our relationship oh you know because I think yeah because I think that um we really can have a uh like it really is a you know a relationship that we have as, as kind of like obvious as that sounds. So I really appreciated your reflection. Thank you, thank you very much. And um, one thing I wanted to touch on from 
your mention of um, highly sensitive people is because I was thinking about this yesterday and I, I'm always very curious about like all the conversations online about different kinds of ways of processing and neurodivergence versus neurotypicality and, and stuff because I have a lot of um, sensitivities. Like I think like editing this podcast um, in a good way, like a, an effective way is important for me because like I know how taxing it can be to listen to things that don't sound, that sound a particular way. And, um, and I was thinking about it yesterday and I was thinking about uh, the Saturn Mercury conjunction in my chart as like maybe a way to kind of describe this difficulty with certain sounds. And I don't know if that's totally true. I haven't thought about it so much, but um, I was curious if you, you know, just off the top of your head, if you think like there's some, any kind of ast um, astrological kind of signature for, for that in your chart. Um, in my chart or in just in people's charts in general? Hmm. If you want to get personal, you can, if you want to, yeah. yeah. If you think there's just a general astrological signification, that would be, yeah, I guess, too. I guess just to like talk about it in general at first, like, yeah, there's so many different kinds of highly sensitive, like mm, ways that point. it shows up. Like for point. me, like for me, I definitely am sensitive to a lot of things like that you mentioned like certain sounds or like lights and then just like energy of people mm -hmm. but then I also like really crave high sensation experiences at the same time yeah and that's something that me and my ther therapist have like worked with a lot and like she's a somatic therapist so that's one thing that's really helped me she specializes in HSP and and different things of just like hey this is happening in my body what's actually going on Mm -hmm. or like this is happening in my energy and my emotions what's actually going on in the body whenever we when i'm experiencing this but anyways yeah like i think there's so many varieties of like hypo or hyper arousal and mm -hmm. where we the way that she's framed it for me is like i there's like a resiliency zone in the middle that we all like have a preference towards um, mm -hmm. so maybe some resiliency zones for some people are a lot larger and they can handle these like big upswings and downswings and whatever they're experiencing but some of us are like no I need a little more stability <laughs> yeah um and yeah I would honestly think that like sensitivities can show up in so many ways I think about the moon just because that's a sensual kind of planet in general of the senses for me in my chart I think it's a lot of the 12th and 6th house access because mm -hmm. I've got a fiery 12th house with a lot of Feely planets. It's the Sun, Venus, Mercury, and Jupiter all hanging out. And one time I had a reading with uh, Kira Sutherland, medical astrologer, and mm -hmm. she described my stellium in the twelfth as this cute little like tea party happening in the forest. And <laughs> I was like, oh my god, that's it. That's exactly it. They're just uh, having a little time out by themselves, and you know. But anyways, yeah, it's. I think those planets and that combination in a fire sign and in the twelfth all kind of give me. A sensitive inner world experience yeah. and not always like sensitive in a bad way but just like you know i think we both have a we have a lot of fire earth and air and then not as much water in our charts yeah absolutely. so like those things excite each other and um yeah i would honestly like what do you think about for you and your chart with like the moon and its placement do you think that might add into some of your sensitivities as well mm, yeah i don't know why i've been like 
not wanting to talk about the fact that I have a moon Mars conjunction in my chart, like on this. You're like, podcast. I also have a moon. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, like not, and not even I also have a moon. Like I also have a Mars placement, and like oh. it's very close to my moon placement. Yeah, that's like something that you know, it's one of those tender ones in the chart. So I can totally understand why you're like. Yeah, I don't know because I feel like traditionally it's a condition of maltreatment for the moon, and it does show up in some ways, like. Like, um, anger can be something that I have to like work on, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's like, yeah, it's not the nicest thing. So I think I've been a little bit like afraid of judgment around that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think also there's something about, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, this in my conversation with EY, like the moon is like, the last application it makes, you know, 30 degrees before is to its ruler in my chart in Sag, Jupiter and Cancer. And then it applies to Mars. The next application it makes is this application to Mars in Sag. And so there's something about, and it's like, I was watching uh, Austin Coppock's Astromagia uh, keynote the other day, and he's talking about how waning moons are like cold. And so um, an application of a waning moon to Saturn is much, given that Saturn is cold, is much different than an application of a waning yeah. moon to Mars. Yeah. And like the moon is really like bringing, it's like kind of like a, a dollop of sour, sour cream on like a spicy dish, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's giving, it's giving that little, uh, you know, taking the edge off a little bit. And so I do think that, yeah, there's an interesting thing with like the moon really helping my Mars and it's not always the easiest for her, but uh, it really is an aid to to Mars. There's also this interesting thing too, um, which I don't feel like we've really as a community gotten clarity on Doraphoria. I don't know if like you use this technique at all, but the this like spear bearing thing uh, and like technically, so it's like either there's like a few different ways that planets can spear bear and like spear oh, bearing, right. spear bearing yeah. is supposed to be like an eminence factor. And, and typically it's associated with the, the luminaries. And so for the moon, if the other planets of that sect, Mars and Venus rise after the moon, it's supposed to be like a condition of Doraphoria. And so in my chart, I have the moon in the first and Mars is rising right after her and venus is sextiling both those planets kind of rising mm -hmm. after as well and so it's like this kind of dual signification of maltreatment but also maybe doraphoria and the aid that the moon is bringing to mars and so it's like a lot of it's a complex thing it's a mixed bag and it definitely manifests in my life in some challenging ways but it also manifests in my life in really beautiful ways as well I think like taking action uh towards things that are emotionally resonant for me you know yeah towards yeah. my values yeah it's definitely complicated and and interesting and I do think that the moon mars relationship plays out as well in terms of like the sensitivity yeah yeah thank you for sharing and I got like two things in response to that um I guess like first it would just be that 
yeah, I guess around any of that hesitancy to share that part of yourself, just remembering that like that's one part of you and mm-hmm. you know, you've got so many sides to you. And I'm sure that, you know, people that are like, if we're talking about this podcast in its sense, like people that are coming and listening to this podcast are, I guess from my own experience, you know, I could feel your integrity and in the way that you show up and the way that you want this podcast to feel. And, and so like, if I were to find out that you have a moon Mars conjunction after that, it's not like it's going to change any of the ways that I view you, you know, yeah. um, unless, you know, that's someone's thing to be judgmental or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, but no, I think it's just one part of you. And um, I think it, you know, yeah, it tells a story we all, mm-hmm. like all of our charts do. And, and uh, so yeah, that's yeah. That. and then I'll oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it's important to remember that like all of the planets in our charts are just one part of us. And like I was explaining with like the different things happening with the moon, Mars, like that in itself is multifaceted. Mm. So it's like, it's like fractals within fractals within fractals. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it is. There's so many different stories that all of these, um, all these beings are telling because like they are not just points on a piece of paper they're uh, you know i think that they're they're yeah, people you know with their own freedom of movement and mm-hmm. you know yeah and then like we were kind of talking about this the other day when we were just like chatting and getting to know each other some more um i think there's a big difference of having a quote quote hard placement in your birth chart versus like a hard placement in a solar return year you know mm-hmm. like you have your whole life to really get used to moon Mars and to find your own unique relationship with it that has those nuances. And that's different than someone that's like, you know, going into a perfection of the moon that has Mars right there with it. Right. right now. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Um, and then I guess the other thing too, you were talking about the moon and the Mars rising above the horizon and then in that nice sextile to Venus, like they're both kind of applying to Venus. I was drawn back to, um, I guess how long how long have you been friends with Aaron ET? Um, we've been friends since about Norwat 2021. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. I I went to I had a session with Aaron at the beginning of 2021 when they were starting the um, research consultations. Mm. Did you hear about those? Yeah. Yeah. So like that whole idea of like the planets that have just gone over one of the angles have something to say to the planets that are like on the way to doing that same journey so interesting yeah that could be a cool way for you to like dig in more to that relationship there of like oh the moon like moon and mars are now above the horizon and they're sending some energy down to venus that's you know on her way so Mm. what what can that mean yeah yeah i love that yeah i know that aaron took a little bit of a break from that research but that they're going to be starting it back up soon i think so that'll be really cool to to hear their thoughts there yeah, I think that on um, the episode you did with her, she was talking about getting that started soon. So I'm definitely keeping my keeping my eyes out for that um, to share that. Nice. Um, yeah, thank you for your reflections. Um, I just wanted to take a moment uh, to, because I saw you put it a note on, about this in our doc. Um, if you wanted to just talk about like teachers that are most important to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, thanks for making sure to ask that. Um, I'd definitely say that Kelly Surtees has been one of my biggest teachers. Um, I think a lot of us, you know, can send a lot of our thanks back to the astrology podcast in general, but Mm -hmm. um, 
yeah, just really appreciate Kelly's teaching style. I've done a bajillion of her webinars and like a few of her courses and I'm part of her like monthly membership and stuff. So um, yeah, I love, I love that Kelly is just like kindness first and all that mm. she does. And like I went to her post Norwalk workshop um, this past year where it was about detriment and fall and like actually how that really shows up in client work rather than just the technique, what the technique says. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she just taught us so much about how to really approach those things with kindness and like gentleness in our hearts and how to really, yeah, not shy away from like sharing those things with people and, you know, giving those things to them so that they have more aut autonomy with their own story, kind of like what we were just talking mm -hmm. about in a way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm super, super grateful for all that Kelly has done and, and her TAs, Larry and Michael have been huge helps for me too. Um, so then beyond that, you know, other stuff like the astrology show with Kira has been huge, just listening to a lot of people's thoughts in our community, mm -hmm. um, astrology university, all those things that have kind of in that vein of just sharing, like knowledge sharing. Um, so I yeah. think that a lot, a lot of my learning has been, you know, individual study, but it's also just been like, maybe that's part of my fire signness too, of like, oh, I just got this thought. I want to go share it with someone else and see how we can keep playing with this thought. So yeah, I've had a few little like Instagram DM group friends where we have like an astrology group where we're always just kind of bouncing ideas off of each other or like, what would you think about this placement? How would you delineate it differently than me? And I think that stuff is so, so valuable for us, mm. especially if we all have like differing, like differing practices and different life experience and all that stuff. So Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say that a few main people like that, like Kelly Surtees, I really love Jason Holly's work as well. I know that you've been studying with him. Yeah. Um, and and then yeah, definitely really vibing with all the relational astrology and holistic astrology perspective. So mm -hmm. yeah, I love I that too. I think I land somewhere in the middle of those two. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, I remember meeting Kelly at uh, Norwalk. Like I was having breakfast with my partner. And she was sitting at the table right next to us and we just started chatting and she was so, so sweet and kind. And I get such a great, like, warm, welcoming energy from her. And it was really nice because um, I didn't know a lot of people at NORAC 2022. Like, I just mm -hmm. kind of went to, because, you know, like, it was like my partner's thing at the time. And it turned out to be a really important thing for me. But um, yeah, it was really, really nice to kind of like, be welcomed by Kelly and Sam Reynolds was at the next table and I feel like it just speaks to like I know that conferences are like you know we were talking a little bit the other day like conferences can be this like have these accessibility issues where it's not affordable for certain people like like I don't know if I can afford to go again this year uh given like my work situation lately um but it really can like like it was really a, kind of a life-changing experience for me to go to Norwalk and um, like I don't know if I would be having this podcast right now or at where I'm at in my life if it, if it weren't for the opportunity to do that and um, yeah I also wanted to say like for anybody that's like a new student of astrology like there are so many free resources in our community like whether it's people just sharing knowledge on Twitter um, or, you know, the, the astrology podcast, 
the astrology podcast like there's just so much so much knowledge being shared and so much generosity and like there's always something new to learn and uh i really really appreciate that um about the astrology community and uh yeah i think that there's really something to be said for the help of the internet and bringing people together like i I really appreciate um like the reason you and i met is like Mm -hmm. we connected on on instagram and then i started listening to your podcast and you know i I shared your podcast and we realized that we had some people that that were shared in our circles and stuff like that and um you know and then like i I talked on one of the last episodes about like kind of opening my books to doing natal and you reached out and you're like, let's do a trade. And that's all that none of that wouldn't have, wouldn't, wouldn't have happened if like we didn't have astrology people on Instagram or astrology folks on Twitter. And so, you know, I don't know if you have anything that you'd like to add about that, but um, I do feel like with all of the challenges that can sometimes come with the Mm -hmm. astrology community, like we're, we're, we had some uh, discourse last week and we have already have new discourse this week. And I don't know if it's the Mars station or the Mercury station or a combination of the both, but like there's a lot of uh, discourse going on that apparently repeats every three to six months. No, is this I on Twitter? That. Yeah. Okay. I'm not on Twitter. I, my nervous system can't handle it. <laughs> mm, that, that makes sense. That makes I'm just sense. like, I already have one social media. I got rid of Facebook a few years ago. I'm like, I just can't add anything else into the mix that's going to keep me on my phone longer. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally hear that. I totally hear that. Um, but no, I, I agree that Norwalk was really pivotal for me too. And it I feel like it I left with just like a different sense of like grounding, like groundedness in my practice of like, I don't know, it just makes it more tangible whenever you do come together. And yeah, you see those people that like, oh, I've known you over Zoom for a while but now I can actually put a body and a face to like your energy and like see oh wow you're taller than I thought you were mm-hmm. <laughs> or mm-hmm. like you know like and then I don't know I think I, I went to Norwalk this year with a lot in my mind of like I'm gonna ask everyone how did they how did they get to becoming a full-time astrologer like how did they mm-hmm. make it how did they make it work because that was really big on my mind of like how do I escape this corporate job and move yeah. over to doing this more and and then kind of got some honest answers of like sometimes it works and then the next year it's a little more rocky and mm-hmm. some honest answers of like 2020 was huge for my sales and my you know sessions and then since then it's not and so I'm like oh yeah people that I thought had it all together also have questions and mutability and changing mm-hmm. and how they have it all set up too so it kind of gave me a little bit of grace of like I don't have to figure this out and get it so like perfect right away it's just just keep putting the intentions forward and you know keep growing building yeah absolutely and i think it's interesting you you mentioned the other day that like uh you like we saw each other at norwalk but like we didn't Mm -hmm. know each other at that time and yeah i had i interviewed um astrologon yesterday as well for like the insect awesome uh, aquarius um moon episode and like he was like oh you were at norwalk yeah so that's one of the people that i was like kikiing with while i think Mm. i saw you sitting on the bench near us so um like uh john and also like zach powell and a few different people and mm-hmm. yeah just some really fun goofy times of just like talking about venus and pisces and things and 
yeah, it's just fun whenever we can all get together and have this like shorthand of like, like you, you know, you tell someone, oh yeah, Neptune's been opposite from my Mars. And then the whole room is just like, oh my gosh, I totally get it. And you yeah. don't even have to explain what's been going on in your life. You're just like, it's just shorthand at this point. And mm-hmm. of course there is a lot more nuance inside that story and stuff like that, but it is, I don't know. I just think it's fun when we all get together and, um, you know, if we have the ability to get together, um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think too, like someone can be like, oh, I'm having the same transit and it's manifesting for me like this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and you're like, oh, wow, I would never have thought about that. That is so enriching to my understanding of like yeah. the way as astrology can manifest. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, it's just yeah, to go back to what you were just saying, it's really cool how we kind of all like share space with each other and then realize like three years down the road that we were sharing space at the same place. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, because it was like, I walked into Jason Holly's talk and I saw an open seat by Aaron and I was like, Hey, Aaron, can I sit with you? And she was like, oh, I'm saving this for someone. But then there was still a seat at the table. So I, I sat down and, and yeah, so it was like one of those things where it's like, once I started to see your picture of your face on Instagram, I was like, Oh, I've seen his face. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's cool how it's all connected. And yeah, yeah, it's super, super cool. And to realize that like, yeah, like I have a memory of like looking over at Aaron during that and just being like, wow, my mind is blown. And to just hear like you were sitting right across the table and you were having like a same or similar experience or a different experience. And it's just like, yeah, it definitely makes me think about all of the the, the fate and free will of it all, um, mm-hmm. which is maybe a topic uh, maybe we'll get into today. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But I think it would be good to uh, get into uh, the topic at hand, which is um, the moon, the Aquarius moon, your Aquarius moon. And um, I just want to start that conversation specifically about the moon uh, by talking about your relationship to, with the moon, like throughout your life, like before all of this, before you were an astrologer, before um, you, you know, discovered the importance of the moon in astrological practice like what was your relationship with your moon with or with the moon as a kid and um you know if like maybe you didn't have a relationship with the moon what's what's been like one memory that kind of stands out to you yeah I love whenever you get asked this question on the past episodes it's just such a good thought and um yeah when I was listening to one of the episodes I was like what would my answer to be to this so it's fun that I get to know share my answer <laughs> okay um I feel like it definitely starts out with like you know school projects of the solar system and kind of just getting to know that I feel like I did some kind of like styrofoam planets at some point we don't love styrofoam at this point but uh it, mm-hmm. it was helpful for that project I guess um <laughs> but yeah I think I had a telescope as a kid as well and there was like one memory of my dad waking me up and bringing me out to the back porch to see a lunar eclipse mm-hmm. um it was like you know a full a full-on lunar eclipse it wasn't like partial so you know I think I have memories of those from pretty young but then um I think more significantly uh I lived in two houses growing up one of them was until I was like 11 or 12 and then we moved over to a different house just about like 15 minutes away it wasn't like life-changing or anything but Mm -hmm. that room at the new house um it it was like when you walked into the room there was this little nook over to the side 
and had this like round arched ceiling that the rest of the room didn't have and mm -hmm. there were planets painted up in that round arch and oh, like cool. a really big gorgeous sun that was like didn't really have like a boundary around the sun it was kind of just like an outward glow and you know none of the planets were actually like to scale size at all but that's kind of where I set up my computer and being an Aquarius moon as we'll get to like you know I was doing fun things on the computer like learning how to code and you know, design my MySpace page really well, and <laughs> Zanga and LiveJournal, all that stuff. So I spent a lot of time underneath those planets and like the room itself, it was like a really kind of like gray, silvery color and on the walls and the floors were also like, like wood floors, but I think that like fake wood floors that looks kind of grayish, bluish. And mm -hmm. I saw a meme about it the other day that people like hate those floors. <laughs> But I actually liked it. Um, I think for me, with my really hot and dry chart, um, it was really great for me to have a room that was like silver and like very lunary and like cooling. It was like a really cool gray, cool blue. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that was like a memory that I was brought back to of just like, wow, my room growing up was like a really lunar space and mm. felt like that was really medicinal in hindsight of like, good for my fire and good for me to have that like cool off room mm. and you said that you like did you like pick those colors or like did you just kind oh, of inherit those colors I did yeah it was like we moved cool. in and they were already there I think it was actually painted for like a baby nursery before but and my mm -hmm. parents asked me if I wanted to paint over it and I was like no I like the planets like I like the stars like let's keep it cool uh, yeah so it actually just ended up staying and being what I needed or what I wanted and like you were like doing moon remediation like before you even knew life was just taking care of me mm -hmm. um but yeah that's like a younger memory and like you know I was in that room until I left left for college and stuff and and then you know I was still able to like come back to that room and visit it during college some as well um and then but yeah the moon so the moon for me, we'll get into the placements, but it does rule my 11th house of community mm -hmm. and friends and groups of friends and such. And in college, um, yeah, I just like met the best group of friends ever. Mm -hmm. Like this was, you know, 2010 to 2014. So the world is quite different. Um, we called ourselves good vibes. And I, <laughs> that's like so silly to think about now because like vibes is such a word that everyone uses all the time. But I don't know our our group just had good vibes and like mm. we went to this college that was really centered around the greek life and you know not hellenistic life <laughs> like mm -hmm. sororities and fraternities and partying and a lot of rich kids a lot of money just being thrown around and it was one of those schools too where the people that were going to do that they were rushing into that on the first semester mm -hmm. so it was like you're arriving at school and everyone's like oh my god are you rushing are you rushing like what are you doing and and for me, I was like, I came to college to find myself and not to become like, you know, a carbon copy of anyone. And I don't want that to be like offensive to anyone that has mm. found, you know, a nice time in one of those groups. Like I had a lot of great friends that were in those groups as well. But for me, in my Aquarius side, entering into this new era of life where I was like wanting to like, you know, be openly gay and like come out to people. I was like, I don't mm. think I should step into some fraternity here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like our group of friends was just so aquarian in that way where we were like kind of revolting against the culture like the counterculture and stuff um and yeah the moon is just like 
always around like whether we were at like a concert or a festival or just you know walking on campus mm-hmm. um, we would always text each other like oh my gosh go look at the moon like it's so bright nice. it's so amazing and yeah, oh, when I think cool. about the moon I just think about those kind of moments of like you're standing in a crowd with someone and then they point up like oh my gosh the moon and mm. and everyone just has this experience and and like there's so much beauty in that that like we all just like marvel at this close starlight you know like yeah and we all see ourselves in it and we all relate to it differently and Mm. you don't have to be an astrologer to have a deep connection to the moon and and so yeah this is kind of like what I'm saying about like 2012 to 2014 was a different era where like people aren't at least where I grew up in that area of Texas it was like to talk about the moon and be spiritual about it was kind of like kind of woo and kind of different and so to have people that, that I was like vibing with and we're like oh you love the moon I love the moon and you know uh that kind of thing so the moon really took on a communal like friendship vibe for me once I got to college Mm, yeah that's so interesting um and feels very astrologer good of like uh because when I think about looking at the moon I typically think about think about it like being alone Mm. but you specifically associated yeah. with those 11th house significations of like being with someone else or being in a group of people and mm-hmm. looking at the moon together and um it also feels very aquarian like you mentioned the word like rebel mm-hmm. and that's a typical you know kind of aquarius signification and uh, yeah I, I i didn't go to a school with um with greek life but i went but uh, some of my good friends from high school did and it was interesting to see just how mainstream the Greek life thing is, or it can be at certain schools, and how kind of fringe it is to not be in that in certain places. And so that there does feel like that Aquarian element as well of like Aquarius being the outer boundaries. Yeah. And like per- perhaps like not being in Greek life in that kind of context, like being on the outside. Um, but finding people who are also maybe a little offbeat, a little different, who relate to that. And um, yeah, I feel like that's such a great like description of like the moon in your chart. Super cool. Um, any other any other um, thoughts that you want to share about like your relationship to the moon growing yeah, up? They're... There was like two other points during college that really took me in deep with the moon. And um, yeah, I'm definitely going to keep mentioning, mentioning like festival culture throughout this because it was a big part of my life at that point. And, mm. um, but like there was this one festival in Texas called Art Outside. And it was like exactly that, where it was like a lot of incredible artists just like posting up in this gorgeous um, environment for the weekend. And, there's you know like there's like folks like a folk stage hidden over in the forest and then there was like a geodesic dome that was kind of like the heartbeat of the festival and anyways um it was a night that I partook in some psychedelics and mm-hmm. I was drawn like a moth to a flame over to this tent that had a big like light on and like literally was just drawn over there and while we were kind of being little spunion kids and and uh it was these people. Have, have you ever heard of Third Eye Pine Cones before? No, I've not. So they're actually from the West Coast, from I think Santa Barbara area. Okay. But he essentially 
would get these like knob cone pine cones that were like really those like really dense pine cones that are not very open they're like all kind of like okay yeah locked in um those tight ones and he'll cut like a cross section out of those and on the inside you can see that like internal fibonacci pattern of like how it looks and mm-hmm. apparently that cross section looks a lot like the pineal gland as well and so oh interesting a lot of that time a lot of people were wearing these like pine cone necklaces and sometimes they would have a gemstone on top of it and they called them talismans and mm-hmm. i don't it wasn't the same kind of talisman that i know today of like getting the astrological election and embodying and souling something but for me that night that experience actually did kind of like talismanically activate it for me it was like a rainbow moonstone necklace that I bought mm-hmm. like it just I think anytime when I was kind of getting into crystals at that time of life anytime that I would see like a display of jewelry I was like it's too hard to make a decision but that night I picked up the moonstone and moved it around underneath the light and I was like oh my gosh I could look at this forever cool. and so it pulled me in and I put it on and it was incredible. I mean, I had this like really deep experience with like essentially the moon goddess of like that that stone. And I, my other friends that I was with were kind of having a hard time with the journey that we were on. It was just mm. like, it, not that they were having like a total bad trip or anything, but it was like a lot of energy gets thrown into your system at once and you, know, you yeah. kind of like shed your skin and like get used to it. But for me, as soon as I had that necklace on, I was just in this like, fully embodied state and like really deeply connected into my instincts and my intuition and and those are words that we could pull apart for a while but like Mm. I was able to just like guide us that night and take care of us and like you know Mm. we're walking from like one place of the festival to another and I was like just instantly knew how to like walk even if we were getting like distracted and pulled over to these little like spinoffs and fractals kind of like what you were talking about it was like oh I just let my gut lead the way and then my gut takes us back to the to the campsite and it was this huge learning journey over the next few years of like really getting in tune with like the waxing and the waning of the moon and getting really deep into just like following my deep instincts and Mm. and so like today I don't always think about the moon the same exact way but like that was just I can't really look back at that time in my life and not think about how big that necklace was for me and Eventually, I like buried it a few years later when I felt like I was done with the lessons and stuff. And but it was just cool to think back on that and be like, "Whoa, that moonstone crystal taught me a shit ton about the moon!" <laughs> like mm. in a very fast, upgraded moment. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the focus on um, taking care of the group, and I feel mm-hmm. like you know, I actually I don't know that much about talismans or astrological magic it's something that I want to learn more about when I'm kind of ready for it I feel like it is pretty advanced um but I'm reminded of I feel like uh I don't know if you follow Adola Stellarum on on Instagram uh, I think it's mm-hmm. rain, rain and um Palace uh the the talismanic series that they're launching soon but like they're doing a lot of education around talismans as well and um, I'm finding it really helpful. And it's like pretty frequent newsletters that are pretty digestible, you know, pretty accessible. They yeah, they're really digestible for like how much information they're synthesizing. Yeah. And I think the idea of talismans is kind of like, I don't know if there's a protective element, but there's definitely like an element of like, if you're wearing a certain talisman, that energy is like, 
present or that energy uh-huh. is going to be with you. And so it feels very fitting that like you were the one who was able to kind of nurture and care for the group back to the path that it needed to be on to like have a good experience through through that night. And it feels very like actually quite fitting for what talismans can do as far as I understand them. Yeah. So that's super, super cool. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, and then I just had one other little thing. Um, I took an archaeoastronomy class in college, and mm-hmm. that also just set me off on like, yeah, because it's a class on, you know, astronomy, but it was like, how did cultures of the past relate to the stars and how did they, you know, build certain temples or different structures to view the stars or so like you know with the mayans having a venus temple where they could watch you know venus's progression and um or like the pyramids like we talked about all these different kind of things um but that's where i got to really understand the moon phase of like oh that's why the light is showing like a curve because there's the sun and here's the earth and and then i got to know like oh venus that's who i'm usually seeing before or after sunset that's venus and potentially mercury but maybe less likely and so it was kind of cool that i got some of those tidbits of the planets maybe like 10 years ago and then kind of like didn't lose that information but you know kind of went on to do other things and then eventually came back to astrology and i still have some of those like textbooks from that class and i was like learning about the nodes when i was first getting back into astrology and i was like i don't really get it what does this mean and mm-hmm. so i pulled out my archaeoastronomy book and it showed me a diagram of the nodes and i was like ah now I get it. And yeah. So, so yeah, that was another little road like bump or like a little checkpoint in the roadmap along the way. Right. Was getting those, that knowledge of where we are in space, I guess. Mm, I feel like that is so important. Um, and it reminds me of the fact that we have a pretty narrow perspective historically uh, in astrology. I think like we talk about kind of ancient astrology being a hellenistic thing but like before that it helped like hellenistic astrology originated in mesopotamia um and then there was so much importance about uh like egyptian contributions to what astrology became um and then like this communication between the hellenistic world and uh like the islamic world uh, the Persian world, uh, as well as India as well. And then like kind of astrology evolving by a cross reference and kind of like a interconnection of these places, exchanging ideas and developing these techniques. But we also like, as far as I know, there's like a whole Mayan astrology, uh, which I don't know anything about. And we don't really think about or talk about that much. And there's perhaps a Chinese astrology. I was listening to a astrology podcast episode with Alice Barkley Cat the other day um, on their book on uh, post-colonial astrology. And they were kind of talking about Chinese astrology as like not being um, a thing or something along those lines, or like perhaps not being a monolith. I'm not quite sure exactly, but all of this is to say that uh, like many ancient cultures independent of each other had this uh like it was a part of the culture and a part of like the architecture and um very like physical experience of life uh within those societies 
to like work with the moon cycle, to work with uh, the solstices and the equinoxes and stuff like that. And uh, so this was a very, a very embodied thing in, in more cultures than just the lineage or the places that we associate with astrology today. And I think it's just important to like point that out. Uh, and I don't know if you learned anything in your class that elaborates on that, but I'd be super interested to hear. Yeah, I agree. Um, sorry, I kind of just, that threw me off for a second with the mic. What, uh, no worries uh, with the different cultures and stuff. Um, yeah, I agree. And I think back to when I was taking that class and just being amazed at like, they would describe, you know, these civilizations would create this certain thing that like they were able to even think far ahead um for how things would progress or like the procession or parallax all these different things that they were taking into account that like most people think that you know they're just watching off observation they wouldn't really know those things but i don't know i just think like yeah in the past with you know less light pollution less mm -hmm. distraction of the internet less distraction of these different things that i think that these yeah relationships with these yeah beautiful beings above us would just be so much more natural and that they'd probably you know i'm sure a lot of it came from like channeling or from like really deeply connecting mm -hmm. in and like meditating but i think so much of it was just like yeah they had the time and the energy and the space to just connect with something they kept seeing night after night and learn from it and um so yeah, I don't even know if that answers the question that you posed, but I I agree that like there's so many cultures out there to think about. Um, I've been trying to think or like I've been learning more about the Pleiades lately, and because there was something in my solar return chart pointing to one of the stars there, and mm. or not pointing to I don't know why I said that, but yeah, just some connections with Alcyone and the Pleiades lately, and and you know just seeing Mars up in that part of the sky lately with with the bull has just been a nightly experience. But you know I live around um the eastern the eastern uh cherokees and so i'm like what were the cherokee myths around the pleiades like what were mm. other you know societies saying about the pleiades and um yeah so I, I, all the all those thoughts spin around in my mind a lot of just like the ancientness of you know how long these energies have been here i think ari felix has a planets as ancestors diana rosenberg is the i think that's her name that wrote the um these two books ancients ancient secrets of the skies secrets of the ancient skies that's what it is mm. um but it's all about star history and goes across so many different cultures and understandings and you know mm -hmm. it, it doesn't have the time to go into depth on all of them but it still lays it out there for a lot of these things so yeah i think that there has been some astrologers that have done that work, but I agree that like a lot of our, you know, stuff is centered around Hellenistic and we come sometimes just, you know, think that that's the ultimate truth. But if anything in those eclipses from the Gemini Sag axis taught us anything, mm -hmm. then it's like, what is truth? And like, we can always have more information and yeah. Mm, yeah. I like that. That's like a nice point of reflection. Like what was my relationship with truth? during those times something for me to think about for sure yeah I think that I'd like to know now like how your relationship with the moon has evolved since then to today when you know you're an astrologer and um 
you know, you have perhaps a more intimate relationship with it. I don't know if that's a fair thing to say, but mm-hmm. yeah, what, what's your relationship with the moon today? And um, like, why do you think it's important that we focus or talk about the moon in astrology? Yeah, it's such a good question. And today the moon is like all about the body for me. It's so much about mm-hmm. the body and care. I think I have a few different things on my chart that kind of point towards me wanting to provide care or bring sweetness into this world and pleasure. Yeah, I just think it's so much about the body and and care because that's just what it's taught me over the last few years as I've had Saturn, you know, transit over my moon. Um, just want to send some solidarity out to anyone that has an Aquarius moon because <laughs> I don't know if the transit worked the same for everyone, but for me it was really hard. It was really heavy and definitely that probably the heaviest energetically that I've ever felt in my life that like hung around for a while and just felt like it wasn't really going anywhere. Um, I've looked back at some of my journals from when Saturn was going over my moon and I'm like, Oh my God, I was so sad. I was, I was so down and just like so heavy. And Mm. so, yeah, anyone that has an Aquarius moon has probably had some form of that happen, but, the lesson underneath it all is just about the limitations of my body and mm. the, you know, the limitations of what I can go through and how that affects my body. We'll get into it in a little bit, but the the moon is in my sixth house. So having all of this Aquarius action over the last few years in my sixth house has just taught me so much about coming back to my body and like how like stress and my nervous system and all those different things, um, really express themselves through my body Mm. um but then i think to zoom out a little bit from like just my chart and just why the moon's important i think the moon just gives us access into a natural rhythm that our society doesn't really promote or like want us to really be in touch with i love this point yeah yeah i think it's like we live in a world that has so much opportunity for nourishment like the the earth is providing so much for us but we have all these systems that are intentionally blocking us from that nourishment or they're ruining that nourishment with you know glyphosate and Mm. all these different things um you know our body is resilient of course but i think that the moon yeah like in this state of the world it's so hard to even understand what nourishment can even like look and feel like in our lives unless we really mm. center that as like a main part of our routine or a part of our day or just a main value that we uphold yeah i think that the moon gives us a glimpse when we really work with the moon we get a deeper glimpse into like how to bring care into our lives and like nourishment on a deep level and not mm. just nourishment to like check it off a list of like you know i had some soup today or i you know, did the thing for my body today, or I did my self-care and I checked it off the to-do list. It's not about that. It's more about just knowing that our body needs that given response and like needs, we have to feed back into our body if we ever want to keep going. It has to be a sustainable act. And, Mm. and so, yeah, in a system, in a society that doesn't want us to doesn't even allow us to be on our own natural rhythms. You know, we get stuck in these nine to five boxes or these Monday to Friday things. And mm-hmm. I think that getting to know the different cycles of the moon can help us like find more peace within that or find other ways to, you know, exist in the system. The moon shows us, you know, things through a 28 day cycle, but also every seven days, the moon is squaring again. Every 14 days, it's opposite. And 
Mm-hmm. Even that even that concept of like setting a new moon intention and then six years down the road, whenever we're having the full moon, maybe that's whenever things are coming alive. So mm. there's so many timelines within the moon and so many different cycles that we can pay attention to. And so, yeah, I think those different kind of points of like, it can help us dream up new systems probably too. Yeah, I love that point. Um, and it's got me thinking about the void of course moon actually. And I don't typically prescribe to the modern definition. I think I'm more in line with what someone called the medieval definition, which is basically like the moon is void if it's not applying to a planet within orb, so within 12 degrees, regardless of sign boundary. Um, and I'm totally fine if other people, you know, it's like I'm I'm not like saying that that's right or wrong. I just think that that makes the most sense to me. Um, I'm fine with people having following the modern definition. Erin um, talked about that in her episode, how she's found that to be right for given her experience um but i just i like that idea of the modern voc definition because it does happen so frequently and so it's kind of like a call to rest during those times when when the moon is at the end of of a sign and isn't applying Mm -hmm. to another planet and i just really like that idea of like okay the moon is not applying to anything it's time for me to rest and just having that uh that little like uh, prompt to do that because I I think for me uh, you know thinking about I feel like thinking about Saturn the planet that kind of like governs time and thinking about the moon the mm-hmm. planet that like marks time for us mm-hmm. uh, and we can talk about those cycles too as well you know I know that we're going to talk about secondary progressions and there's this like overlap with the Saturn return and uh, you know the progressed the progressed moon um, but I think that if I didn't one of the reasons why I find astrology really compelling is that it helps me develop these practices in my life where I'm mindful of time. Because otherwise, for me personally, I would just be like, I don't know what day it is. I don't know like what time it is. I have like, okay, there are Christmas. It's not this extreme, but it's like, okay, there are Halloween decorations up. I guess it's October. Like, I know what month it is, but generally, like, I just don't. Yeah really keep track i don't like celebrating holidays really like i'm not like a i'm not that kind of person so i just don't really keep have ways of keeping track of time and i think for me astrology kind of gives me that um gives me that ability to work with time in a way that feels useful and effective and helpful for me and so i just i really like thinking about that kind of stuff um so yeah thank you for thanks for offering that um yeah and i agree with all of that like the there's so much about that time of like the moon within saturn saturn within the moon that gets mm-hmm. so deep but yeah i like what you said about the void of course moon promoting rest it's like oh the moon's not applying to something maybe i shouldn't be applying to something at the moment <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but yeah, or it's kind of like take the day off, like the moon's taking the day off. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't like, I guess I have seen it a lot more whenever I use my honeycomb planner. Like, mm-hmm. I'll notice it there, but for the most part, I'm just more on the day to day, just like what sign is it going through? What aspects are happening? Um, or like what part of my chart is it highlighting today? Um, and then the void, of course, if I notice it, I'll take notice of it, but I also try not to like get too, um, 
being a stickler about it, I guess. Yeah, it's a fine line of like, because there's so many things to keep track of that I can go to extremes and get a little bit too obsessive about something. So it's just like telling that line of not being totally unaware, but not being aware to a detriment. Yeah. 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 And I feel that way with the electoral astrology too. And I think that there's some awesome voices in the community about that, of like relating the time in this way where we're not, you know, being limited by it. We're, you know, working with it in good ways. And, and like for me with like, how I work with the plants and stuff, sometimes elections kind of have to go out the window because the plants are electing their own growth process. Like, mm. like there's this uh, wild rose that I really love to work with and it used to show up around Beltane every, Beltane every year, like May 1st. And then with climate change effects, like it kind of has been pushed back by like two weeks about or sometimes three weeks. And mm-hmm. so, you know, once I started to learn more about like, astrological workings and magical workings i was like ooh, maybe i could look for a chart around beltane for those roses and do a good distillation that day but it's kind of like oh the roses will bloom in their own time and mm. nature has its own election process and like so i think i really wanted to have venus and taurus whenever i did the distillation but then by the time that the plants bloomed and i was able to go get my harvest in then the moon or venus was in gemini mm. and it was kind of like well Maybe this is the medicine we need. Maybe we need some sweetness for the right. Gemini side of life, like the, all that stimulation, or mm-hmm. maybe maybe it's still in you know tropical uh, or sidereal Taurus instead of tropical. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, things like that. Yeah, and then it's like, do you wait for it to be in Cancer to have some triplicity dignity, or it's just like right? But these are roses is that, that too only late? bloom exactly. These are ones right. that are really ephemeral, and they just come around and they bloom, and then within like a week or two, if we have strong rains, they're going to get washed away. So mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I've had to kind of reckon with. Of like, ooh, I would love to make an election for when I do these plant workings, but also I think I just need to like let the plants show me when it's time, right? To show show you what they will be medicine for yeah yeah in their their own time yeah there's something that drew levante shared with me on twitter about like i elected a time for something and then i was like how did i do and drew was like "Eh." but he was like there's something really special about not necessarily like you choosing the time but the time choosing you and there's something being being something um special about that and like even the other day, you know, I was releasing an episode and I had I had planned to do it a day or two later, but for whatever reason, I just felt compelled to do it that particular day. And it's just like, yeah, like these mm-hmm. things maybe work through us necessarily. Like there yeah. is this give and take of like, I'm reminded of this idea in, in um, Pacino, I think it is, of like the planets within. It's like the planets work through us and there's maybe a reason for that. and. Uh-huh. Um, just like we talked about a relationship with the earth and the earth working through us where we're being made, we are made up of the earth there's something I think um, an important humbling thing for me to remember of like I am not using astrology as a way to manipulate these beings to get what I want uh-huh. you know it's like a relationship and it's a give and take yeah. and I think that's probably why I've even said the words around like working with the plants instead of like, I, I, I changed, I worked with changing that language when I first started getting into herbalism of like, oh, don't take aloe vera, don't take 
peppermint. It's like work with peppermint, work with aloe vera. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, if I may, I do have one question, like follow up yeah. question about this idea of nourishment, because I'm curious what words come to mind for you that are associated with nourishment. Because mm-hmm. I think for me, because it can be, a, I, I think it can be a hard thing to think about, like, what does it really mean to be nourished? And the words that come to mind for me are like stability, solidity, security, like these kind of S words of bolstering. And mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear what words come to mind for you. What what does that mean for you? It's a good question. Um, I feel really nourished when I'm like full like um, when I'm hydrated enough, hydrated enough. I don't know why that came out so funny. <laughs> mm. um, but I think nourishment, it's like something that's going to have a more lasting effect. Kind of like what I was saying earlier with like, oh, I didn't just eat to like check it off the to-do list for the day. I ate something that's packed with, you know, healthy fats and healthy omegas and healthy this or that. Maybe the word healthy is not the right word, but just mm. something that has a lot of like, functions stacked in it and like it's going to have like a you know a good effect on my body for not just like 30 minutes but maybe the long run for the day or Mm, longevity um, perhaps yeah yeah so I think about things like that of like having a really nourishing bone broth that like Mm. you know it's so warm and it has an effect in the moment but it's also helping my joints and it's helping this or that um I think it's also individual too like for me nourishment is slowing down and like moving very slowly through the world instead of being so fast-paced and maybe that's different for other people like mm. maybe other people might need um a different experience to feel nourished um yeah and i think also yeah. like we were talking about earlier with like you know we're not just one part of our chart like mm-hmm. and the thing that comes to mind for me is like certain kinds of movements yeah like i think for my jupiter and cancer being in the pool or being in the ocean yeah feels so so nourishing but for my mars and sag like just running for like you know even doing like a long run Mm -hmm. feels like a kind of nourishment for for that planet you know and it's it's different for each different planet and there's you know a multiplicity of things that can be applicable to each Mm -hmm. one and then you made me think that there's like physical nourishment that we were kind of starting with, but then there's emotional nourishment mm. um, or like a hug is nourishing at times, you know, like a listening ear can be really nourishing. So, yeah, I don't think I have a full formed answer, but I like that I don't have a full formed answer. I, I want to mm-hmm. keep thinking on this and letting it distill me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then about, to kind of tie it back into that with the moon and the cycles and stuff um like you know yeah like the moon is affecting the waters of the earth but all the way down to like our bodily waters and even like waters that are inside of a small seed and Mm. so like yeah just getting to know the moon and its cycles can be so beneficial for so many areas of life and just really getting down into so many of those nuanced places and um so i think like plant-wise some of the moon plants that really nourish me um have you ever worked with milky oats before yeah i love milky oat tea yeah or like even like the like an extract like a tincture of it kind of thing um or like oxymel um because that's one of those ones that yeah it just feels like a good hug to your nervous system and Mm -hmm. it's one of those ones that's like nourishing it and rebuilding it over time so maybe there's something about that like 
building effect that's inside of nourishment. Maybe that's a moon Saturn relationship that we could find. Mm. But I I love oats in general. So like if someone doesn't have access to milky oats, like yeah, eating oatmeal also has that same latexy nourishment inside of it. Or bringing oats into your bath is a really incredible way to work with oats and to feel feel it all over your skin and mm. to so oats is one or coconut is another moon plant. Um, you know, we can think of coconut like housing all of that stuff inside of its circle inside of like a little womb. Mm. It's got the the coconut fat and the water and there's a bunch of different like imagery to look at the coconut tree as like this uh, metaphor for life in general and how it has like all that it needs in that plant. But mm. But coconut is one, so like, you know, drinking coconut water or adding coconut milk to your bath or um coconut oil on the skin these mm. are all lunar things and then aloe vera Absolutely. would be one one other plant that i really love to think about the moon it's a plant that's literally like most of the time in harsh conditions like in a desert but it's also just like filling itself with moisture and like making itself available to us to help us with these various things that we might need it for you know whether that's mm-hmm. gut health or skin like abrasions or you know heat conditions that we need to cool off or yeah so those three plants are big moon ones for me and and really invite me into like lunar energy mm. yeah i love thinking about um aloe vera as like um, a moon plant because it's uh disclaimer like i'm not really a knowledgeable about plants so i don't know like the families or the genuses or what have you but um i associate aloe vera with cacti Mm -hmm. i I don't know if that's correct i I don't know if they're more succulents or or what the deal is i don't know anyway (laughs) they kind of look like cacti um and i associate them with warm places maybe deserts maybe more maybe more humid tropical places but there's something about like that spiny uh uh spiny uh like stem that's associated with aloe vera and but then the inside is just completely like water you know Uh and it it kind of it kind of like reminds me of images of the moon in like art or film i don't know where i'm getting this or where this kind of idea is coming from but this idea of like like pouring out the moon almost and I feel like there's some there's some kind of connection there where it's like this thing that looks solid, but really when you get closer, it's like hmm. this mix of solid and liquid. And wow, yeah, I don't know. It feels yeah, uh, feels really applicable. Yeah, or even like the crescent moon shape, how it looks like it could, it could hold water in that. You know, mm, yeah. I think I have a sticker on my water bottle from the Honeycomb uh, art store, and then it's the moon and it's like holding up its crescent shape with water in the crescent so oh, that's so cool yeah it's a it's a cute sticker um just a shout out to honeycomb i've totally. uh, you mentioned their planner and i've used the honeycomb planner and it's like really really helped me uh track like personal transits and like um take some notes about how things uh affect me and whatnot and even like we have a calendar in our kitchen that we um, we write out on the the whiteboard calendar, like all the transits that are happening that month. And it's just like so helpful for me to remember what's going on. And we actually didn't do it this month. Like it, things have just been busy and we've uh, neglected to do it. And I've been kind of like 
feeling a little out of sorts, like a little ungrounded because of that. Um, but we like, yeah, every month we take out our honeycomb planner and we, we write stuff on the calendar and, um, it's, it's, it's a really, I think, powerful tool and they have great add-ons of like, I, I added on like my zodiacal releasing stuff and like got like a deeper understanding of zodiacal releasing because of that. And yeah, you could do a lot of cool stuff. So I definitely suggest for people who don't have one of those to like invest in one or invest in some kind of kind of journal like that yeah i really enjoyed whenever i added in extra pages for notes um i feel like that's when i actually really started to use it a lot more and mm -hmm. i changed one of the paper like the paper options so that i could use my like ballpoint pens on it and it would like smear as much so nice yeah, they have so many different little tweaks and options that you can do to it to make it personal for you so and I think I used to start out with like a whole year one. And then I was like, no, let's just bump it down to like six months. <laughs> nice. So, so it's kind of nice to like get two, two fresh ones a year. Mm, cool. Um, yeah. I guess one other thing that I wanted to say about the moon and why I see it as important. Um, you know, a lot of us, I think it's already been mentioned on the podcast with like, you know, the order of the spheres and how mm -hmm. the moon is like the last one that we, our souls, you know, descend through on the way to being incarnate. Um, just, just such a beautiful image. Um, personally, last week I was kind of in more of like a death doula, death midwife role with one of my friends mm. that was helping her dog pass. And mm. um, we ended up doing the final ceremony with the dog on a Monday. And I was just so, I was like going to light some candles while we were, you know, setting the space and, and creating how we wanted him to be able to go. And I went to light these two uh, beeswax taper candles and the moon just kind of like checked in and was like, this is a moon day. And I just had that reverse of the thought where it's like, oh yeah, on the way into life, the moon is mm -hmm. the last thing that we, that we touch. And then it's like on the way out of life, the moon is also that same gateway that's going to be helping us cross over mm -hmm. into the next journey as well so it's just like ugh, the moon is always there always full circle always here to support and i just found so much solace in that that like wow the moon brings us in and it brings us out just mm. the same yeah that's super beautiful thank you for sharing that and uh yeah you you talked to me about that experience and i was like glad that you're able to be there for your friend for that because it sounds like it's one of those, yeah, experiences in life where, I don't know, it's just really nice to have somebody who can be with you, who understands. And I feel like we'll talk a little bit more about this when we get into the sixth house. It feels like your moon in the sixth and there is like that emphasis of pets, like that signification of pets in the sixth house. And so I feel like it's really beautiful to be able to like support your friend through through that experience and be there with them yeah it was an honor to do that and that dog has been you know ha we've had a great relationship and you know i guess was and is you know just a great soul mm -hmm. um yeah it was really incredible because it was one of those opportunities where we got to meet death intentionally and like mm -hmm. w welcome it into the room with like intention and not just be like thrown off by it or surprised by it um mm. like of course you know there were moments along the way that we had to get get there and like you know get to that even space of like acceptance but 
yeah it, everyone that was there during that ceremony before they left like we all just everyone voiced they're like wow i'm forever changed that i was able to like like i said like greet death in this way in like a powerful way a sacred way and yeah it's not something that everyone has the opportunity to do you know death doesn't always work that way mm. but we also had conversations around you know why can't we do this more in our human life and yeah. you know i guess there are certain places where you can but just kind of yeah what if we could have this relationship in the human sphere too of like greeting death at our own when it feels right for that person and when they feel i don't know it's a big conversation of course and I'm, i don't yeah. want to open up the largest can of worms but it's like mm. yeah that was part of that experience was like getting to show up and help with something that i've also been through and that i could provide you know care and and support for but it was also it changed me as well and it was an, just a beautiful experience mm. and i even you know i have all those 12th house plant uh, planets and stuff and dreams are a big thing for me and i even saw that dog immediately that night in my dreams like he was mm. just in, you know on the other side just happy as could be and oh. you know doing his thing immediately and it's never happened to me before with people that have passed where i dreamed about them the same night it usually mm-hmm. takes a couple weeks for that to happen but i just thought that was telling for like oh he was ready to go and we sent him off in a peaceful way and he's totally active on the other side and good to go mm. yeah it does feel like there's something very applicable like not to yeah not to open up the can of worms too much or get too much into it but there does seem something very applicable about the moon and its association with timing and saturn and its association with death and the service association with aquarius i I feel like it is very feels very applicable to this idea of like let's actually strongly consider death as a part of life let's choose a time to reflect on that to bring that in intentionally it does feel very fitting so yeah thank you for sharing that i feel like there's a lot of reflection that i'll be doing about that idea off the air because it is something i really think about quite a lot and i don't know if i'll include this but i definitely i just wanted to share really quickly like this idea of um on Ali Alomi's podcast, he talked about, in, in the Saturn episode, he talked about, um, I believe, like the the Islamic um, story or myth about the angel of death, which is associated with Saturn. And I'm reminded of this because of the recent dialogue about Saturn and this idea of like, this idea that I think is understandable, of people just wanting things to be good or bad. Is that what the discourse has been? It's maybe been more um, more nuanced than that, but it feels kind of that way to me sometimes of like people just associating, you know, like people seemingly, I think, wanting planets either be solely benefic or solely malefic. And it's like, you know, Jupiter is good and Saturn is bad. And uh, I think that the reality of life is that death is a part of life. You know, like we need... It's almost unimaginable to think about what it would be like if we didn't die and how we would have to restructure every way of life to account for that. But people need to 
pass for new people to come and for the earth to be able to sustain them. And we need to trim away plants for new growth to occur. And like, those are all malefic things, you know, cutting away. And um, I'm reminded of the this conversation, the episode that Ali Lomi did, and I'll try to get through it without getting emotional. I guess I won't be able to, but um, God basically like assigned the angel of death, their role of killing and the angel like really didn't want to do that i think we can have this idea of death as like a malevolent thing kind of like joying and reaping but in the story that ali told like there's real there's real sorrow in the angel of death needing to carry out that task so much so that the angel of death goes to god and says can you please hide my face? Because when humans look at my face, they hate me. And so God obscures the face of death and calamity and disaster and all of these things so that people don't have to look at the angel of death. Wow. I I think I might've even used words around that of like, like looking at or welcoming it into the room and like seeing it fully or something, but mm. that makes so much sense of, yeah, like I don't want to be responsible for this pain or for this experience, but at the same time, it's uh, so many cultures don't view it as the end either, you know? Yeah. Like it's a different step. It's a, and so much like you said, it is the other side of the coin. It's essential for new growth, new space. But wow, thank you for sharing that story. Like, yeah, because for me over the last week, it was like I felt like death in the room was like a reverent spirit with us. Like she was also grieving with us. And she, I don't know if we need to put the she on it, but for me, it felt like mm. it's like a really peaceful, like cloaked energy in the room that was also like, you know, bringing our energy down a little bit, not in a bad way. Like a, let's all be on this like smaller plane together where we're making our energy a little smaller and just showing up for this spirit that's in this space. And I don't know, there's like an illustration in my mind that I want to draw someday of, you know, maybe two people sitting on, you know, kneeling by someone grieving, but then it's like the angel of death or whomever we would call it is like kind of has their wings around them or they're like, you know, Mm. cloak, cloak on their shoulders. And it's, and the angel of death is also grieving alongside of us. Um, Mm. At least that's just how it felt this this past week was like wow this energy like you said it's not it's not malevolent it's not coming in to you know it was a deep acceptance is what brought us there so yeah yeah thanks for sharing that I think one other thing I just want to say that's coming up is that on my own personal journey um like I feel like I just finished my ninth house perfection year and I feel like that time was like rethinking a lot of spiritual ideas and I think that in the years preceding that, I it was very easy for me to kind of fall into this place of like feeling far from divinity and mm-hmm. doubting the other side, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of like taking this more materialist view of like, this is kind of all there is, you know, mm-hmm. like we're here and then we're not. And that's, and even finding some comfort in that. But I think I've moved more into a place of like, through kind of like opening myself to doing ancestry work and 
kind of like finding a bit of a new spirituality through learning astrology actually of like being more open to this idea of an afterlife or something being on the other side of this experience that we're having and I think that that's perhaps why I get emotional about that story but I don't know I, I guess I'd have to I guess I'd have to think about it a little bit more I'm not too sure yeah I mean it's just a deep story and touching in general so um but yeah I, I would just want to congratulate you on finding those new worldviews or perspectives or whatever you want to call them for yeah relating to this in a different way and like you have every right to view death in any way as you want you know mm-hmm. someone can be mad at death for a long time if they want to be like currently I'm having this experience that like I'm having a peaceful time with death but like there could be something else that comes along the way that I'm just like a different relationship with it again and and I even heard a little bit of like Neptune and what we were talking about of like Neptune can be about loss it can be about things that kind of get washed away mm-hmm. same with you know Pluto being quote quote death and rebirth and things like that it's like yeah, and what you circling back to what you were saying about wanting one planet to be bad or good. Yeah, I've been having Neptune transits, um, and they have a mixture of good stuff that like is really hard, and or good stuff that's like really touching, and then stuff that's really hard that's really out of your control. And mm-hmm. and then yeah, with Saturn too, it's like wherever Saturn is going into your chart, it's like what's your current relationship with that house, and like what is what is it already like, and you know are there cracks are there fault lines that you're ignoring like saturn will probably make those apparent mm. or or if it's already pre-patched up and you're in good relationship and good integrity saturn's just going to kind of like set that in stone and mm-hmm. so and then yeah like you i think we were talking about this the other day like someone might have a jupiter in a really fun like outgoing sign or someone might have a jupiter that's more internal and like emotional and so we can all have so many different varied experiences and that's part of the beauty of it for sure yeah well I want to say thank you for holding the space of you know kind of like walking through that story with me and I feel like I'm just learning about my own experience by just having this conversation so it definitely means a lot thank you for that yeah thank you and you're welcome both (laughs) okay so We've talked about the moon in general. Uh, So I think now I'd love to jump into your moon's sign. Um, But you also have this stellium in Leo as well across the way. And um, so I'd love to talk about Aquarius, but also that Leo Aquarius axis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't really talk about Aquarius without talking about Leo. (laughs) Um, I think before we get into that too, I think it'd be cool to like hear... Like, what do you think about oppositions? Because I feel like for me, there is this kind of element of like, sometimes like there is an element with with the yin and yang as well of like the white inside of the black and the black inside of the white. Mm -hmm. There is this element of like part of Leo being inside of Aquarius and vice versa. And that also is maybe why it makes it oppositional. Like these things Mm -hmm. are too similar. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that it's like, really fun to just learn about the signs that way like learn about the different pairs um yeah like me and my boyfriend are like very leo aquarius like he's got a lot of aquarius and 
um, he's not like super deep in astrology, so we're, we don't need to like get into his chart or anything, but um, mm-hmm. just like our relationship also being on that axis of like, we do have a lot of similarities in the way that we like view the world or like intellectualize things or we love art and music the same but then at the same time we're so different like mm. like i'm you know that 12th house side where i'm like all about like inner spiritual feelings and meditation and like that like i took an akashic records course one time but like that would never be mm-hmm. his his mo you know he's more of mm-hmm. like uh, just a different end of the spectrum of like that experience and so there's been times in our relationships where the opposition has felt like I don't know if we can keep doing this we're so different mm-hmm. but we have this really unique ability to be able to like come back to center together and like learn from the other side so like and like we both have placements on both sides of the you know, Aquarius so like we mm-hmm. you know it's not totally out of sorts for either of us but it's like there's always something about our difference that like teaches us about each other and teaches us more about ourselves and and we're always able to just like kind of come back to the heart um mm. so yeah that interplay with leo and aquarius is definitely like mind and heart and, yeah and that connection and so i think you know even just coming back into the heart helps the mind to settle you know mm. or like dropping down into the heart but yeah there's so much beauty in the connection of the two like leo is about the self and shining the self outward and expression and then the aquarius is like who's receiving that like who's mm. on the other end of the receiving like who's in the group um and yeah like honestly that whole concept has like hindered me in the past with my self-expression because i was just growing up you know like gay in the south i was just always hyper vigilant hyper vigilantly aware of the group or aware of space that i'm in or mm. I'm like partially psychic, but not like a full on like psychic. But I think that the way it works for me is I get a lot of information from like the way that we share space together Mm -hmm. in a room or like the way that we're all like placing our bodies. I guess you could say body language in a way. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think growing up, I was so aware of the group that I never really gave myself the chance to fully just be me. You know, I was always tweaking and molding mm. me so that it would be received by the group in a certain way so yeah that's been a huge like growing growth edge in my life of like yeah just not letting one overpower the other I guess um mm-hmm. I was listening to elemental ruminations it was a, a webinar on astrology university from Saffron Rossi mm-hmm. and she's a archetypal astrologer and also a Jungian psychologist and she brought up this one um, like illustration from an ancient like I Ching, um, and it was essentially the different constellations like paired together. And the the Aquarius Leo one was like the water the water bearer was pouring the waters like straight into the lion's mouth. Mm. And there was something about that that like clicked whenever I saw that or heard that. And I was just like, oh yes, Aquarius feeds Leo, like. Mm the that relationship between the two is what feeds back to leo and gets it more so i like made a post about it and made this little like image about it too but it's yeah it's like not i guess i had i had a a client come to me one time that had some strong leo aquarius stuff and they in the past were a singer but then their favorite thing they were like i love performing by myself sure but like my 
most favorite thing ever is being a part of a band and they were just like mm. obsessed with how like whenever they do join in with something that's larger than themselves it like brought them into this whole other expression or this whole other layer of how they can you know function I guess and so that idea of like yes the individual is great but like when we share that with others or when we collaborate it can become so much more and it can fill us up a lot so I think that idea of like Aquarius being like the heavenly waters coming down and bringing that inspiration or bringing that nourishment is really important for Leo. So I think I just walked in a few different directions with that, but yeah, curious, curious to hear your thoughts there. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that comes to mind first is um, the sun's rejoicing in the night and this idea of like, why am I shining? And I mm. think often, I think that there's something to be said for uh, shining for a reason, like a higher, mm-hmm. a higher reason, um, a bigger idea, perhaps like a religious conviction, a philosophical foundation, what have you. And that feels pretty applicable to this idea of like, I am shining in Leo and then in Aquarius, what is happening in the larger context. Mm-hmm. And like that determines how I need to shine to be meaningful uh, to because there's also I think one of the things that maybe isn't um, talked about with Leo so much I feel like I've talked about this uh, in my intro episode of like it's not always just shining to shine I think there is a love of like shining with Leos but there's also like uh, a giving in that like a generosity and so for that having there being a reason and there being like how can I be how can I give someone else what I need or how can I meet the people who I can shine for and they need that shine in their life you know so that comes to mind and then I think that there's something about uh Leo and Aquarius too of like you can kind of be yourself by knowing yourself but they're like I don't think we can really separate our individuality from the contexts that we like are within and so there's something about like knowing the other knowing the group knowing the um like I I was just watching uh Super Sensory Shahir's uh Venus and Aquarius uh embodiment episode with um with Jonathan Coe and Jonathan Coe is talking about this idea of like I also have Venus and Aquarius I really related to this this idea of like learning the rules Uh so that you can break them Uh so that you know how to most effectively like break them which really is just like I want to do my own thing it's like but you have to know how you can do that effectively and I feel like there's an element of that opposition of like okay, I need to know what's what so that I know how to be who I am, shine who I am uh, in this world. Yeah, there is a big part of that for me too, of just like letting other people shine however they want to shine. I think with my Virgo rising um, growing up, it was easy to like, you know, I said I was kind of, I receive information from the group or the body language. It was kind of easy to like read too far into that or like, you know, analyze it to a T and it's like, Mm. you know, everyone's got their own internal processes going on we're all, you know, kind of living a struggle underneath the surface. And then 
and then you're receiving whatever we're bringing, you know. Um, that makes sense I guess, too yeah. with, um, with your Mercury, like your ascendant ruler, mm -hmm. conjunct your sun and your Venus and your Jupiter. It just makes sense that like, okay, there's a lot going on. There's mm -hmm. a lot of voices in yeah. this, uh, you know, in this equation that are speaking. Yeah, and even just the concept of a Leo 12th house is just so odd, right? Of like mm. the 12th house is kind of like a hidden space or not wanting to be in the center uh, spotlight, but then it's like that's Leo and it's conjunct Regulus. So like, what does this mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, what? how do I work with that balance, that juxtaposition of like wanting to be out there but not wanting to take up too much of the space or wanting to have some pride in myself but not wanting to come across as like, prideful oh my gosh like yeah so yeah just kind of coming up against some like big big emotions like that of like pride and self-love and you know these are things that we can kind of like box up in these cute little packages but they take a lot of inner work to to really get to a place with and yeah, yeah. I think I had a really crappy relationship to self-pride for the first like 28 years of my life and mm. in this last few years getting to know my sixth house you know going through a Saturn return and then you know, somatic therapy and acupuncture, they've been huge helps on helping me kind of work through those steps. In fact, I, I kind of have a story, to, a story to share, if that's cool. Um, yeah, please. They're, and it's very Aquarius too. So when I was talking about kind of growing up in life, being like hypervigilant about like the space around me and the air around me, like that's also Aquarius, um, the air. Um, a few years ago, yeah, I was... Luckily, where I live, I can go get spring water from the mountains. And there's this one spring that I go to that's kind of like off of this main, like main-ish road, a uh, very curvy road. And and it's not like dead center in Asheville where it's like, you know, kind of counterculture. It's a little bit out towards where there might be some people that have Trump signs or, mm. you know, driving a big truck real fast. And those things take me back to Texas that don't feel too comfortable. And yeah. And so one time I was standing there with my water jug and I was trying to get it under the spout and you kind of have to stand in this awkward position to really hold the jug right without hurting your back. And But anyways, I had this moment where I was like, someone drove by and I was, I just became instantly really aware of the way I was holding my body and like, oh my gosh, what are they going to think about the way I'm holding my body? I mean, it sounds so silly, mm -hmm. but it's like, these are your, maybe we label them as a trauma response. Maybe we don't have to, you know. I think that behavior just shows that someone's wanting safety and wanting to feel secure. Um, but it was kind of like, I brought it to my therapist of like, I'm literally just getting water on the side of the road. Why am I so worried yeah. about what someone driving by is thinking? Mm. Um, and she helped me with that to kind of break out, like, this is the thought that comes up, but then what does your rational mind have a response to that thought? What does your heart mind have as a response to that? And so we we're kind of able to break out these different like responses I'm having inside of like, oh, sure, I know this intellectually isn't true, but this is the feeling I'm having over here. Right. Your body literally responds anyway. Yeah. Like so quick. And you're like, well, um, so yeah, there was a lot to learn there of kind of separating out like, what does my knowing mind know versus what does my heart know? And that's really important for Aquarius. I think we can get so stuck in intellectualizing things and you know, or the stuck fixed air quality of thinking things are a certain way and then not really wanting to change your mind. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, 
um, being brought to a question, which I feel like just touches on what you were just talking about. And another thing that they, that I think about a lot with my Venus in the first decade of um, Aquarius and that they were talking about uh, on that episode from Finco and Shakir uh, is this idea of like self-imposed exile. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's interesting, yeah. especially with Venus, like a planet of union, uh, that being her decan and still having those associations of like kind of being alone almost. And um, I believe you have your Saturn and your moon there, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm curious if there's some element of you feeling like you had to leave your hometown to kind mm-hmm. of find elements of yourself maybe yeah i mean no doubt i also have a sagittarius fourth house so i feel like that even mm. kind of speaks to like needing to get up and get out and go somewhere else to see the world yeah um but then yeah jupiter the ruler of that sagittarius fourth house is over in the 12th another place that talks about exile or mm-hmm. going out going to far off lands so yeah there was something important for me about you know going and building up my own experience and my own like situation I guess you could say well and like like I said about the air like Dallas always just felt like the air was filled with judgment you know Mm. like people are looking around and judging people or like thinking stories but then whenever I would visit Asheville it was like whoa I would step into a coffee shop and nobody's turning heads to immediately analyze and look and see who's here it's just like people naturally just share the space more freely, I guess. And we can totally pull apart that idea of sharing space a little bit more later if we want, but that's something that I've had to learn about is just like, yeah, just like when people are giving more freedom for other people to just have their experience that aren't, you know, overlapping as much. I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of getting into some weird 12th house words the way I'm describing it or like Mm. dancing around something to describe it, but it's like, yeah, but then I guess to circle back to the exile, like, yeah, I think that's a huge part of the Aquarius experience is uh, just feeling different and just feeling on the outsides. I, I even like spatially, like if we're talking about sharing space again, spatially growing up, I always wanted to be like at the side of the classroom. I didn't ever mm-hmm. want to sit in the middle. I always wanted to have this like vantage point over to the side, which I think is really Aquarius of having that like witness perspective um you know like or like pe class i would always try to scoot over to the edge of the of the court or whatever um and that could be some other kind of like if we want to frame it that way like a trauma response or of sorts but i think for me just being so internally sensitive and then getting so much information from my surroundings all the time it was like i thought that was normal but mm-hmm. a normative experience, I guess you could say. But I think it's part of that highly sensitive experience and like moving through the world with that much sensation and information always streaming in is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm reminded of my my last ninth house year when I was 20 and I was living in Belgium and I went on a trip uh, with a few, few friends over the Christmas holiday and we went to... We were in Jerusalem and I remember sitting on a sitting on a wall outside of the city and like if you go anywhere that's on the edge of something, the mountains, I live in the foothills of the San Gabriel Mountains. If I climb to the top of them, I can see 
downtown LA and I can see the, the whole landscape of LA. And it's like, if I'm standing in the middle of downtown LA, I'm surrounded by buildings. I can't see the sky at all. And so there is something about this, like, again, this idea I think of like, who am I in relation to these other things? Like, I know that I'm different, but, and, and also like, I have the vantage point of being able to see what the landscape is. Yeah. And I, I think that there's something interesting too, to go back to the idea of air with Aquarius being an air sign of like, I do relate a lot with that feeling of being different with my Venus and Aquarius. And, you know, I don't know if it's like, because it's Aquarius is my third house and it's this like metacosmios in between worlds space, but I really can feel the air, the vibe, whatever, for lack of a better term in a place and yeah. be like, this feels good or this does not feel good to me. Like the vibes are off here. I do not uh -huh. want to be here. Um, I can really like just feel that. Uh, and it's not something I can pick apart or explain why it yeah. is. It's just a sense. Same, complete same. And there's something in your chart too that we kind of share. I don't have a planet at 17 uh, Aquarius where your North Node is, but I that's my... That's the same degree that my helical setting star mm. aligns with, mm. which is part of the Delphinus constellation, the dolphin, mm -hmm. um, over in that part of the sky with you know Aquarius and Pisces and the fish and mm -hmm. the whales and all the stuff, all the water things over there. Um, but what Amaya has taught me about that star, uh, Sualison, is that it does have that like dolphin-like quality of being able to just like sense you know mm. energy whether it's like their sonar senses of a dolphin or not but like being able to know when it's time to dive deep time when it's time to come back up um having that intuitive sense mm. like shamanic sense of like what the space is um circulating i guess you could say yeah that's such an important skill too i think of like there's definitely a time in my life i think with jupiter and cancer where it's like i can only go deep and I think that there's something really skillful about like this situation just does not call for that. This situation does. This is available here. Okay, here I'm going, you know, we're getting a few feet under the surface. I think that there's something really, really valuable um, to be able to feel where those things are appropriate and not. So that's super cool. Well, yeah, I guess like another or a nature example to start with would be like what I was talking about earlier, like the spring water where literally water is like bubbling up from the earth or um i guess rain is or aquarius is probably usually referring more to like rain coming from the heavens or mm. um but yeah i think a lot of us the last few years have been tying in mycorrhizal networks and the ways that those are distributing resources under the ground and doing so in a really you know wise and sustainable way where um teaming up with different species and different kinds of trees different kinds of fungal connections mm -hmm. um yeah i feel like that's always that's a really great way to just think about aquarius and um yeah i mean this isn't my own words this is probably just from what i've you know learned through astrology but if capricorn is those systems and structures that we're building up and we get to aquarius and it's like what are we doing with these you know structures who's actually receiving the resources or mm -hmm. um is this actually working for the greater good of the group and so I think that, yeah, being able to see things like mutual aid networks and mycorrhizal 
just the same. Like they're both showing how we can distribute resources in smart ways and bring places to where they're needed. Mm. Yeah, the, the term that's coming to mind for me with Aquarius is access. And I think about that in the relation of, for some reason that the square between Scorpio and Aquarius came up and thinking about Scorpio as like the groundwater mm-hmm. and like water seeping through the ground to kind of get filtered to go into this place under the ground where it's like purified. Mm-hmm. And if we think like, you know, think about Aquarius in different ways, but the thing that comes to mind is like, literally the water bearer like what it's kind of associated with so not necessarily like water or or air but it's like the person using the technology of the vase to actually carry the water from one place to another and this idea of like who gets to access the water who gets to access the resources and i think that i resonate with this aquarius as like a sign of justice uh and perhaps it's partially because my MC is in Libra and Venus is in Aquarius in my chart. <laughs> but um, uh, like this idea of like, everyone should have access to the water. Yeah. Everyone should be able to get these fundamental needs of life met. And like to Aquarius people, that's not very like revolutionary to us. We're just like, yeah, that makes sense. Like it should be that way. Yeah. Like and... we all need houses why are (laughs) houses costing a million and a half dollars down the block from where i live yeah i feel like i was asking a lot of these like big questions when i was a young kid too and like or even in like religious spaces of like but let me think about this and ask a question again like what what's really going on here um (laughs) and that's like another thing too with aquarius is like really having to arrive at our own conclusions and not be told to get there or like you know there can be a really uh what's the word skeptical quality with Aquarius and I feel like unless there's reason to believe or like proof is kind of shown and that's not to say every Aquarius requires like scientific proof to believe something but I feel like um there's just automatic like walls that go up if someone is like oh my god you have to go watch this Netflix show and like ugh, maybe maybe since everyone's watching it maybe I'm just gonna wait like <laughs> a year and maybe watch it then or yeah like everyone is doing this right now then i don't know like maybe i shouldn't <laughs> it does feel like very much the queerest thing i remember some some post on twitter like basically we were talking about that someone was like what's going on with this and i was just like yeah i'll probably watch it in like three years exactly and then we <laughs> were like, it's like if someone really gives me good reasoning of like oh this show shows these different philosophies or perspectives or this is like done really well in this creative way like maybe i'm more inclined to like give it a try yeah that's a really good point because i think like the fixity of aquarius the fixed air um like and i think again of like the water bearer and this idea of like if you're holding a vase of water against your chest like you're not really open like you're protecting that and you're trying to conserve what's inside that you're not really open to receiving Mm -hmm. more because you're Mm -hmm. kind of focused on that and this kind of idea of like how can Aquariuses, or do they need to be open to actually being receptive to new ideas or mm-hmm. perhaps not having, like changing an idea that's maybe not the best, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty Saturnian, huh? <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, I mean, I would, I would probably agree with that, that 
it could be good for Aquariuses to be open and listen to other ideas. And even if you're not going to internalize it and make it your own thing or, you know, at least seeing why people think the way they do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But you, so you said if someone is like really giving, giving the details and putting forth a good argument for why you should be open to something, you're more likely to be open to it. Typically. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, we were talking about like a Netflix movie. So like, I'm sure that the answer might change for other things, but I just noticed it in myself and other Aquariuses for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it's their own idea and they kind of reach that conclusion based on their own life experience, you know, it's different. Um, Yeah. But I guess, uh, let's see. Yeah. So I feel like we've talked a lot about Aquarius in general. And now I'd love to hear like if you have any additional thoughts about what it means for you in particular to have your moon in Aquarius and in particular in the sixth whole sign house of your chart. Yeah. Um I think with my moon specifically, I always thought that I liked my emotions and was like good at working with them. Mm. But I think that the majority of what I was doing was just like intellectualizing my emotions and mm. not giving them a chance to be felt fully. Um, cause like whenever I was kind of working through stuff about anger over the last few years, well, I guess to like set the scene, like, yeah, my Saturn is at one degrees of Aquarius and then my moon is at nine degrees. So after I had my Saturn return, the Saturn started to move towards my moon. Um, that's also whenever I was having a Mars Neptune transit kick in. And I guess I was already having one happen in progressions too. So mm-hmm. there's this multiple layer of like, Saturn moon is happening, but then also my energy levels are getting pushed down a little bit from Neptune doing that to my Mars and, um, and anger issues were coming up of like, why is anger such a big thing for me? Why do I get so frustrated so easily? Mm. And, and when I was in that Akashic Records course, I, I think that we were supposed to have different questions that we would ask whenever we're practicing with friends or practicing with the other people in the course. But I kind of just kept circling back to the same two questions of like, I was still working through stuff around self-expression of just like, how do I, like, is there something else for me to be expressing here? Am I missing something here? And then the other question was always around my anger and frustration. Like, why do I have this? How can I get rid of it? Mm -hmm. And then eventually it was learning more of like, because it was like, you know, the thought around it was like, so say I get mad about something. It was like, oh, I can figure out why I'm mad about something. I can get to the root cause or the root issue of like why I got mad. So shouldn't that kind of solve it? Shouldn't I stop being mad once I know why I got mad? Mm -hmm. And and that's why I was like, yeah, I mean, I I figured out the emotion. Like, why isn't it going away? Mm. And then it was like, oh, it's really not about just like outsmarting my emotions or like analyzing them to a T and that makes them go away. It was like, I need to have the chance to just sit with them and let them work their own timeline on me and um yeah so I'm curious what what you feel about that yeah I think that um as someone who has like a a bit of a tough relationship with anger as well or has anger has been a part of my life something I have to kind of navigate and deal with I feel like it is one of the emotions that's like least susceptible to intellectualization Mm -hmm. like even if you can understand why you're angry, that doesn't mean you're not going to experience the anger. Mm-hmm. And I think like for me, the thing that I've wanted most with anger is to like 
just not experience it or not experience it in the way that I was experiencing it. But it's like, I think the feeling of anger in relation to thinking, it's so interesting because it has so like anger can be so diagnostic, can tell us so much about what our boundaries are, what Mm -hmm. we're okay with. Um, And like the only way that we can discover those things is to like really feel into that and instead of kind of try to push it away with thinking this is just yeah just my experience feeling it and letting those additional thoughts come of like okay what am what is this anger really trying to communicate to me so I found that to be really helpful and it's also can still be unpleasant sometimes to experience but yeah, it's like one of those emotions I found that it's just like, you can't push it away. You got to like walk through it and you have to, I have to listen to it because if I don't listen yeah. to it, I'm just doomed to continue to repeat. Yeah. It feels similar to how we were saying that like death is the other side of life. Like mm-hmm. anger is like one of the natural emotions in life and it's about the relationship to it. Right. It's like, it's natural and to be a like integrated human like you got to be okay with the variety of emotions that'll come up. And I think for me, I was really always concerned with like being a sweet person and being a caring person. And it's like, why, you know, like, you know especially like kind of growing up at the same time as like new age, new age movement stuff happening. It was always just seemed like anger is so demonized and like, it's not mm-hmm. okay to show anger or that, you know, that person's acting out or something. And I think that, I had to reframe it eventually of like, you know, for me to be an integrated person, I have to have my light and my dark sides and I have to express what's natural. And, and I learned something kind of Aquarius about it where like, we're all just learning from each other, you know, and Mm -hmm. if someone is showing anger around me, that's an opportunity for me to learn, like kind of, kind of like what you said about like, learn about their boundaries or learn about what they're protecting inside or just to learn about them in a new way. And so if I needed to show anger around someone, like it's not the end of the world. I'm not trying to harm them. It's like, I'm just being authentic in my expression. And then we can learn from each other and move on from this or move forward from this together. So yeah, there was a big reframing that I had to do around my expression of anger. And I think it kind of is similar to like that phrase of like, you can only love someone else as much as you, as deep as you love yourself. Like that mm-hmm. kind of energy of like, oh, I it doesn't feel good for other people to show anger around me. That's because I don't have a good relationship to anger inside myself. And, mm. and then it's like, once you change or get closer to your own relationship of that energy inside yourself, it's okay to experience anger around other people because you're kind of like made friends with it. Yeah. I think that there's something real about that, but I also think that I really like want to gently and respectfully push back a little bit with that because yeah. I think that for a lot of people, like, okay, masculinity let's get <laughs> let's get oh, no. No, <laughs> let's, let's unpack like like being socialized as a man like yeah. and I think at this point I'm like pretty in touch with my feelings sometimes I still just default to feeling anger as a secondary emotion because I just don't want to feel sad because mm. it makes me feel like I have some power mm. you know and I think that men generally are like allowed to have one emotion Mm. and it's anger and I think that there is something that can be in my experience like there's something that can be empowering about it like it doesn't feel good for me to feel sad sometimes it feels like 
I'm out of control. But like, if I pick up this other thing, which is really just a shield and mm-hmm. an obfuscation of the reality of the situation, it's like, okay, at least I feel like I have some power now. And I think that that has resulted, you know, I think maybe like, you know, women or, you know, people of other genders who are listening to this might be like, mm, I experience men having anger as like a really scary thing, yeah. you know, and like historically, like there are the statistics to support that, you know, like a lot of violence is perpetuated by men. Um and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that men generally aren't allowed to have a range of emotions. And so I just want to be like real about that and also like not negate what you're saying because I think what you're saying is so important. Anger is a part of life, but I think it's a matter of figuring out how can I experience anger, communicate anger. Mm-hmm in a way that can be received in a way that's constructive yeah other than a thing that is perceived as or actually is destructive yeah completely i'm really glad you said that and yeah i've had similar experiences growing up of just being really intimidated by masculine energy and yeah and yeah i did kind of simplify it down to like oh anger is you know you're being authentic but there's mm-hmm. danger to being a little too authentic or a little too brash with like not thinking it through before. And so I guess there was a discernment for sure with my anger of like, as I'm getting activated, kind of discerning of like, is this something that I need to bring up right now so that we can kind of talk through it? Or is this something that I need to like sit with longer and like process on my own? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and weighing the costs of like, is this, if I were to like, and it's, yeah, it's less about like lashing out in anger, but more of just like, expressing that like this is what's coming up inside of me and yeah like you were saying like not using it as a weapon but more of just like a a factor of like honesty right like feeling it doesn't mean acting on it Mm -hmm. necessarily you know like you can feel anger but still communicate with your partner in Mm -hmm. a really loving way yeah that still honors how you feel but also honors the fact that this is another person who may have their own your response and like you know deserves to be treated a certain way so i i mean it's such a complicated thing and um i'm sure that we're not going to figure it all out in this one conversation but um yeah yeah i think that it's an important conversation to have because like i've said on this podcast many times before like gender feels like a super weird thing to me but i feel like in a sense um i've just kind of like inherited these things and have to deal with them mm-hmm. and like just masculinity and um i there have been times in my life when i was just like there's i, I had a i had a view about masculinity that was just like masculinity it can't be a good thing and i'm in a place now where i'm trying to have more room around that mm-hmm. um and it's definitely hard you know uh, it's something I'm still trying to figure out. So, yeah, I appreciate you like talking it through with me. Yeah, I think we both resonated when we were talking the day about just having a first house Mars and like what it what it feels like. Mm. <laughs> I think that that's a part of our thing in life is like, yeah, like embodiment lessons or like expression lessons around a big force like that. You know, 
And I think I expressed something similar of like the other day of like, I have a lot of fire in my chart and a lot of life has been learning how to actually wield that fire in a good way. That's not destructive and it's more sustainable and not burning out. So yeah, I think all these things that we're talking about, like apply to all of each, all of them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that for some reason I feel called to say like, yeah, we all have the capacity to grow and to change. And like, I think it's been really helpful for me to see, and I, you know, I've been, I've had the privilege to see a lot of people transform in their lives and to see like myself and others like go from this place of like really wielding that life force energy in a way that's destructive to having that be more constructive and more of service to, you know, to get back to this idea of Aquarius as like the broader community, you mm-hmm. know, more of more service to like the greater good and the common good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we've gotten into some super deep <laughs> spots here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess just to, if it's okay, just to come back to the question of my moon in Aquarius. Yeah, uh, please. I'm sorry that we've gotten. Oh so no, it's, far don't off. be sorry. No, please don't apologize. Okay, uh, I take it back. Good. <laughs> um, my friend used to say, "Don't be sorry, be silly," and mm. that's always a that's a fun one to use. Um, so another thing that like, I, I think I commented this whenever you originally put out a post about like Aquarius moons, where are y'all at? Like, what's going on with you? Mm. Um, and I mentioned something about like seeing like you know how we've been talking about how resources are distributed or how things flow, um, being an Aquarian thing. For me, it's when I'm at like concerts or like big group things like that, it's almost like I can see the channels of the rivers like flowing through the crowd and the ways that it makes our bodies like react to that and the ways that we situate ourselves to the music. So like, I know this sounds so far off and so woo, but it's like, I don't know, it's almost like I can see like the river of the music coming off the stage and the way that it like flows through the crowd and mm. and like um it's it's hard to describe, but it's just like the way that we're situating our bodies in a conversation or the way that we're like situating towards the music. It's all this like it's like cause you know, water has to keep moving and move past resistance. And have you ever been in a crowd where it's like the there starts to be this one lane where people keep going mm. through the crowd and you're like crap I thought I was in a good spot but now I'm just getting dragged into this like river right here <laughs> yeah um so like that kind of thing or like it's not good for my hearing but whenever I used to like go post up like right by the speakers and like get into that interface of the music before it even gets to the rest of the crowd um so I don't know if this is like just something that I experience with my Aquarius stuff or if it's more of a universal thing but yeah I'm just always getting quote quote downloads or insights about human nature and human behavior and like the way the ways that we operate together mm. um so that's one of the ways that my aquarius moon is kind of loud <laughs> yeah i definitely i don't know like how i relate but i definitely relate to being at a concert and like seeing where the river goes and mm-hmm. being kind of fascinated by that and again i'm reminded of like the view from the from the edge and like yeah. if you're if you're sitting in the nosebleeds at a concert which you know i've done many times you can kind of see the vibe of the whole thing occurring because you're kind of like above and at the edge and you can see how the crowd is reacting and yeah, you know, how the actions of the, the artist is, you know, manifesting in, in the crowd. And it's, yeah, it's a really interesting, cool experience. Um, yeah. I was wondering if we could talk 
more about the sixth house. Um, in addition, I know that you wanted to bring up perfections and secondary progressions as well. So I'd love to get into that. What's your general, I know we've talked about it a little bit, like what's your general feeling about themes of the, of the sixth house? Oof, a lot. Um, yeah, I just had so many lessons over the last few years of like labor and the body and the impacts of labor on the body. Yeah, the sixth house themes have just been really large for me over the last few years and all the different sides of it, you know, the health and wellness side of it. So like, what are we doing throughout the day? How are we structuring our day so mm. that we can, you know, show up for our body, our bodily systems, our soul in the way that feels good, you know, like what, mm. um, just taking notice, like for, for me being, having the stellium in the 12th, and that being that sunrise time of day, I kind of looked back on my life and I was like, I really love those days where I wake up before the sun and I'm like in that mm. quiet space before the world wakes up. And I it was like, time of day. It was like, yeah, I'm like, maybe it's I need to favorite. prioritize that and make it something that I experience every day. And that was mm. part of one of the first few steps in my sixth house transits. And it was like, I was sitting at a computer, a computer desk job for years and years. And it was like, oh, maybe I need to do something that gets me up and moving my body before I have to sit down and not use my body for the day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like just kind of evaluating what your day looks like and what is nourishing or what is uh, helpful for you and then kind of working on implementing those things. And that can feel so overwhelming at the beginning because you're like, oh, I want to change so many different things about my schedule or my day. But it was like a one at a time kind of thing that I had to do. Um, mm -hmm. And at this point, yeah, I've been there's been a few different fluctuations of it, but now it's like I go to the gym every day and growing up, I never really thought that I would be at that kind of like hyper-masculine space at the gym. And mm -hmm. here I am really enjoying it every day. And like, I look forward to it. And um, so, yeah, there was a lot of restructuring my day and creating new flows and new things that were beneficial. Like even joining a co-working space was a part of it where it was like, yeah, I'm still doing the work, but now I'm doing it in a different environment where it's like plants and like good lighting and and a big desk and um, some variety here. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of that of like changing up my daily routines, but then just coming to terms with like how stress and anxiety and all that stuff just really impacts my systems. And um, I've been going through an eczema journey over the last few years, and that's kind of what brought me into a Chinese medicine practitioner and Mm -hmm. um, acupuncture and herbs and stuff and yeah taught me a lot about all of all of that stuff but just um and did that start with your sixth house perfection year or it actually that? it was pretty it was before that yeah it was like it was a little bit more of the mars squares like when mars would square my natal mars it was like mm -hmm. flare-ups flare -ups would happen yeah and there was just this one uh, I think Mars went over my IC back in like 2020, like February 2020, and that's when I started to go. Um, I think that the symptoms got large whenever Saturn entered back into Capricorn. Like, mm, okay. And or, or like started to show up then, and then they got bigger and bigger when Saturn reached Aquarius, and that's the actual sixth house for me. So that was kind of what it was like. Everything just kind of imploded. And honestly, yeah, it was pretty rough for like every Aquarius season. Things were just kind of out of control and just, you know, big mm. flare ups and not really feeling in touch with like what my body was saying and um eventually you just had to get to a place of like you know agreeing with the body and 
not being mad at the body for having its communication style that's through the skin <laughs> mm-hmm. um and like learning that like okay my body's just trying to talk to me and that i can listen deeply and you know keep working with those changes but um so that at this point now that we're back in aquarius season you feel like you kind of have a way of hearing what your body's communicating to yeah. you and, and kind of like adjusting for the season accordingly yeah i mean even just the fact that i had fully got myself out of that corporate job was like mm. one of the biggest parts of it you know and there was other stuff too through the sixth house where i was like trying to advocate for myself on like receiving better care from work like having them show up and support me in ways that they weren't and then when i kept getting my hand slapped to say no it was just like all right like mm-hmm. gotta find a way out of this and so make an exit strategy so so i do think that this last yeah like this this new moon that we're having is right on top of my Saturn. And mm. I mean, like right now I'm not in a flare up, like let's cross, cross our fingers, everyone, Finger, but fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, I think that I've done a lot of the inner work and I've made significant sh- changes in my daily life that like, I think Saturn should be proud of. So mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, I'm hoping that this last Aquarius season while Saturn's still here has a different flavor because I've been putting in the Saturn lessons like into play you know yeah mm. cool yeah Very cool. Like, so it's like yeah just like, recognizing my limits you know mm, yeah so like the saturn in aquarius season being uh i know that you said that like you haven't learned the lessons well in, in past conversations that we had but it sounds like you really have and um that you've been able to take those lessons although that they've maybe been challenging and learn and grow because of them yeah i think that what i was referring to with the like don't feel like i was the best student of saturn and aquarius the first go round was like i think i was just letting saturn have too much of a like like a controlling voice i guess mm. like saturn wants the best for us i get that and then i was also just like letting it run a little too far where i was like not taking risks and not really doing what i wanted i was just doing more of the safe route like the saturnian like oh, this will give you the paycheck or this will give you the degree. And then it was like in each of those moments when I did the Saturnian side of the decision, I was abandoning the other side of what I truly wanted in my heart, you know? Right. So it was like a reckoning of like, okay, these decisions have brought me to this place that feels out of line with my values. So like to get back in line with my values, I got to start making new decisions and laying new groundwork. And so that's part of the whole fixed square off for me. It was just like, and that's the thing with being such a fixed person when you're making these big changes of like leaving a job or changing up whatever it may be like it feels like your world's dissolving around you like mm. it's uh not very cozy <laughs> yeah I, I imagine it can take a lot of work yes um but i do wonder if like your mutable angles help you a little bit with that change yeah i think so i, I think i can like see the positivity of change and that like know that I want those things in my life but I have to like get a lot of advice along the way I have to like have a lot Mm. of sounding boards along the way and like maybe that's part of my air element moon of like I need to talk these things out with people um yeah so you know it was like that's the thing whenever I, I know there's a decision I have to make or like a big change I need to make I don't rush myself into it where it would feel like somatically like out of alignment but it's like I'm just intellectually knowing that we're going to get there at some point. It's like, okay, let me just try to get all the advice I can and 
do this at the right tempo that's not overwhelming me but also put the next foot in front of the other and yeah Yeah. it's really really interesting your chart because um i feel like that is represented in your leo aquarius axis with your moon communicating with every planet in your chart within that axis except perhaps your sun which like perfects the aspect in the next sign but you know um like within your moon's time in aquarius it it separates from saturn and then it applies to jupiter venus mercury uh and then the sun in in the next sign and so it does feel like there's a lot of communication you know a lot of um taking from one thing applying to another that's Mm. happening it feels very like fitting for for that yeah and it's it's like by by sign they are a full moon but it's like yeah that that moon is about 20 degrees 21 22 degrees away from actually being full mm-hmm. um so yeah like the way that's shown up for me being in that kind of gibbous phase um it feels juicy it's like a mm-hmm. i love seeing that moon phase in the sky mm-hmm. i even before i was an astrologer it was like one of my favorite ones to see just because it has this like um, pushing outward energy where it's like growing in size and feels very like fertile where it's like yeah. ready ready for the next moment and it's ready to like grow into its fullness fertile is a great word i feel like the word anticipatory comes to mind for me yeah like yeah. the moment before the full moon kind of totally and and so like that's kind of how it's felt throughout life of like oh i have these things inside that feel like almost complete or like almost ready to share and then and not really knowing like yeah, they feel like there are a lot inside. It's kind of, everything's kind of bursting out at the seams. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, and right now, my progressed moon, we can talk about progressions in a sec if you want. Like, yeah, definitely. They, uh, my progressed moon's going full right now. It actually just like went full a few days ago. And so mm-hmm. I'm starting to be able to get to feel a difference now of like, oh, I've been, you know, like there's that one experience of the gibbous, but now we're at a full. Like here, I can feel the difference of like, oh, like I can feel recognition coming my way or I can feel people receiving something more fully or just having more to share, I guess, inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It would also bring my 11th house into like a fullness too, right? Like, because if wherever your moon, whatever house it rules, whatever it's doing, the progress chart is going to have a little bit of a tie back effect to that cancer house. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to offer um, a resource for folks. Um, and I think I mentioned this in the introductory episode, but uh, Chris on the Astrology Podcast did really has like several videos where he explores the secondary uh, secondary progression, secondary lunar cycle. Um, I think he does it with uh, Catherine Urban um, as well as... I think it was Nick. Nick Degan Best. Yeah, with Nick Degan Best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they did the ones about stations and in, in the chart too. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I don't think I, I think that that's like the one in the series I haven't watched. Oh, we're. Um, I think he did had the a first few stations in your progress chart, so you should watch it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I should. I think he he does the lunation cycle with um, Catherine Urban. He does the secondary progress, just general secondary progressions with uh, with Kelly actually. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, so I got to watch that third video um put that on my list yeah she has a few different uh progressions like webinars 
She also talked about the progress moon phase on her Water Trio podcast, and then she's been writing a book about the progressions too. So oh, cool. really looking forward to Kelly's book. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I took a course with her that was about layering transits with progressions. And that was really awesome. I feel like I hit a new, like I leveled up in my client practice whenever I took that course um, because it was like, yeah, it's like you're going through, like this is the, the common example that people use. It's like, say you're going through a Saturn return. Um, sure, it can go a lot of different ways. It could be a good experience, a bad experience. It could be a mixture of the two. But then you're like, well, what do I do with that energy? How do I react to this transit? Or how do I respond to it and work with it? Um, you can look to the progress chart and see like, oh, I'm in a progress new moon right now or a progress first quarter. And these are the elements involved and these are the modalities like cardinal or fixed. And mm-hmm. that can give you more of an awareness of like how to respond to the transits that you're going through. So like mm-hmm. someone going through a Saturn return with a progressed balsamic moon is more about like letting things wash away and go down and release the things that you don't have the energy for and get ready to start a new cycle of building. Yeah. But then if someone's, you know, coming into their Saturn return, in that full moon phase, it's going to be totally different. Like put mm-hmm. yourself out there and share what you've been learning. And um, so, yeah, the progressions add this other flavor of like how to kind of greet the current moment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really interesting how it's like based on the first few moons, like after you're born. And there's something that ties in the nine months in the womb, the, you know, Maybe not everyone spends nine months in the womb, but mm-hmm. that idea of nine plus three being a whole year. And okay. so that's kind of where the progressions come from. It's like the postnatal experience and like mm-hmm. transposing that out into the full life. So very 12th housey, very interesting, very under yeah. the surface. But I think that's why I like it so much. Yeah, it is a really interesting um, thing. And I've definitely seen that it hits, you know, like I... Um, I talked a lot in the intro episode about uh, my progressed new moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I wanted to point out as well, it's like the, the, this connection with the, the Saturn cycle and the moon cycle, the progressed new moon, the progressed moon cycle, uh, sorry, is that often people have a progressed lunar return, like right before right, mm-hmm. they're having their Saturn return. Um, so it's like the place where your moon is in your chart in the secondary progress chart, it kind of returns to that place, like right before you're having your, um, having your Saturn return. And so for me, like I have a balsamic moon, so it's this kind of very waning, mm-hmm. very waning moon. Um, but yeah, I really saw, like, I went to Norwalk shortly, 2022, shortly after my progress new moon. And I was in grad school when that happened and like grad school completely fell apart by the time I got to that progressed new moon and I finished the first year and I haven't gone back for the second year. And so Mm -hmm. it's really, it was really like a time of endings and new beginnings. Um, It felt like really potent. Did that help you to have that info of like, of like, this is why things might be falling apart right now? Um, yeah, I don't think I, I think I started learning about secondary regressions the summer after Norwalk 2022. Mm-hmm. So it was like a retrospective look and yeah. it was definitely like an, oh fuck moment. Like, <laughs> like I, I am sometimes not that good about tracking, uh, transits and like, I want to get better, but sometimes I'm not the best, but like I tracked, uh, pretty closely that month 
and I went back and I like, I was like, holy fuck on this day, the day that it perfected this happened. And like, it's like super fitting it being a progressed new moon. And yeah, it was eerily accurate, eerily applicable. I think that's so cool that we do get to come back to the progressed lunar return right before the Saturn return, just because it's, I don't, I don't think that the progressed lunar return is like a transit that necessarily makes something happen, but it's like revisiting a common thread. It's like, this is my moon's like comfortable spot, or this is like, it's like you're revisiting that same thread, but also in the progress chart, the sun has moved along and the moon, well, I guess there's two things. There's the progressed lunar return where it, the progressed moon comes back and touches the actual natal moon, mm-hmm. but then there's the progressed phase return. That's an important distinction, yeah. Yeah, so it's like similar, but like your sun's going to be maybe in the next sign. So like that balsamic moon has a different flavor than it did in the natal chart. So something to think about there. Yeah, and like for me, having the 29 degree sun, it makes a lot of sense that progressions really resonated with me when I first discovered them because I always felt like a Virgo growing up. I didn't really feel like too much of a Leo. And then it's like, oh, by progressions, that sun would have moved over into Virgo within my first year of life. And mm. and then I've had 30 years of experiencing my Leo sun through a Virgo filter. And then just in the last year since his birthday, like my progressed sun moved into Libra. And, you know, like maybe that's a worse condition for the sun, sure. But like, it's now also sextiling Leo. So it's like, that sun can kind of see where it's gone, like can see itself again and see like where it's gone mm-hmm. through and where it's coming from. And um, yeah, so like little shifts, like, or not little shifts, those are big shifts. When the mm. progressed sun shifts the sign, that also affects your Leah house because of the, the sun's rulership. So, right. Yeah, there's so many things to track in the progress chart. And like, just to bring it to something simple, like, yeah, just taking a look at what modality and what element your moon's, your progressed moon is in right now. And, seeing if that's like how your body is feeling you know like Mm. is your progressed moon in a fire sign right now and are you feeling pretty fiery and like big you know appetite for life um Mm. and then is it a more airy sign are you like feeling more airy right now or feeling you know that kind of thing so i think that's i'm I'm laughing and smiling over here a little bit because (laughs) um my progressed moon and and the progressed new moon that i had is an aquarius um, and I also have the moon in Aquarius in my solar return chart this year. So mm. it's like a lot of like fixed air energy with my moon. Yeah. Um, and I'm not too sure how that manifests. I have to think about whether there's been a change in how I'm feeling in my body. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, that's definitely something to think about for me. Yeah. And even just thinking about like a new moon cycle starting in an air sign Aquarius instead of your moon is more used to Sagittarius. So then yeah like what are you what new systems are you putting in place for the next 30 years or 28 years and mm-hmm. yeah yeah totally yeah and the other thing was like um and i know that you wanted to talk a little bit about your south node which we can do now if you like but um yeah the um in the progressed um in my secondary progress chart like my new moon was an eclipse because my north node is right there and mm-hmm. so like that adds an element too of like yeah you know, the, the lunar node being there as well um i don't know if you want to talk about your your south node and your in cancer at all but um, now might be a good time 
Yeah, I feel like just kind of like a funny representation of it would be um, like I just I kind of felt like a natural little like counselor as a kid, like mm. not as a kid, I guess, but like growing up, there's like this vivid memory of I think it was supposed to be like a it was like a, a church thing and it was like in a gymnasium and they were playing like dodgeball and I was like not wanting to play dodgeball. But instead, I sat down with one of my sister's friends and like let her like talk to me about boy problems or something. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it's this very vivid memory of me being like providing a listening ear and like care to someone at a young age when we were supposed to be doing something else. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so to take that like evolutionary astrology idea of the South Node being like what you're coming into this life kind of like used to or like comfortable with. Um, yeah, I just think that I have that cancer 11th house like desire to give care to people in my life um but then that north node across the way in capricorn the fifth is like we got to find some structures for the way to do this and like some boundaries and some ways to do this with integrity i guess Mm. yeah Yeah. but i guess i don't really have too many extra thoughts on the south node itself but just the fact that yeah i just lately i've just been feeling that 11th house come into more fullness with the progressive moon starting i'm like Mm -hmm. okay let's see how this plays out over the next two years cool that's very cool yeah i just i know next to nothing about evolutionary astrology and i i know a little bit about i feel like in uh, i was saying on the last episode like i know more about the north node than the south node because we've been talking about it so much with like the taurus eclipses that are happening and uranus Mm -hmm. conjunction and all that stuff but yeah i have my south node in my ninth house of leo and not sure what to make of it but i'll learn more as it goes on that's like the beauty of astrology i think is like there is so much to so much to learn and i mean maybe i'm talking about my south node in the ninth in leo right now (laughs) no i mean that's the nature of astrology is we just get to keep learning so yeah but like coming into this world it's just like yeah Mm -hmm. i'm comfortable just learning forever yeah yeah so then yeah i guess across the way in the third house like maybe bringing that learning into local community or like teaching in local community or group learning or something like that you know yeah yeah totally um anything else you want to say about your your saturn placement no i think we we touched on a lot of it and you know i think that's just i've probably just been describing having yeah a sun in domicile and a saturn in domicile that are mm-hmm. kind of competing for for some energy <laughs> like yeah that's a it's a big push pull across my chart and i think we i guess i will say that like we we talked about this the other day how like you know maybe someone pulling up my chart for the first time seeing all that 12th house stuff might be a little worried or like oh my gosh like really hard life for this person and um and i think when i first was getting into astrology i used to kind of stick up for the 12th house of like oh it's not too bad it's mm-hmm. it can be really beautiful or it can be you know a meditative space and while those things are totally true, like it is a sacred solitude space. It's like, I've looked back at like, you know, activations to my 12th and I'm like, oh yeah, Mm. like that was really hard and a big loss in my life or a big Mm. change. And um, so then as I've been on the other, yeah, and where I've been perfecting into the sixth house and seventh and eighth and having Saturn go through my sixth house for what feels like 10 years, it's like oh okay like this is the other side of the equation too like and that's the thing that is so beautiful about perfections and soul returns and all these things 
and kind of like what you were saying, how we started the episode with like that moon Mars is only just a part of you. Mm. Like when I was listening to the episode on the astrology podcast where Chris and he interviews Benjamin Dykes on the um, translation he did of Abu Mashar's text with the solar revolutions. Mm-hmm. He was talking about um, Abu Mashar's like theory on time and like why it works and all that stuff. And he, there's this one part that stuck with me where he was like, you know, we aren't every part of our chart at once. Like we can't, right. we can't be all of ourselves at once. Like it would be like this burning bush if we were just expanding out in all directions um so it's so interesting how the perfections work where they just like all right the torch is being passed from one planet to the next and now you get to know this planet really deeply mm-hmm. so yeah getting to know this other side of the chart in the sixth i'm like okay like i also get it this is a hard a little bit of a hard house and of course it's you know depending on how you work with it it's still you know generating good things in your life if you're working with it i guess but yeah just recognizing that like yeah these can be some tough spots in a chart but also we're a full person and you know yeah so i guess that's where i would kind of leave things with my saturn sun sitch yeah returning to that idea of like everything is multifaceted and contextual and complex and nothing is just one thing yeah okay so how do considerations of myth play into your understanding and experience of both your moon and the sign of aquarius I don't know. It's like when you asked that, I was like, of course, the obvious answer would be like looking at Ganymede and what went on with that story. I guess, have you, have y'all covered that with Jason Holly? Like, did y'all go into that or no, what was the I'm, course you've been taking with him? I've been taking the earth science course. So we're actually oh, about okay. to start on Capricorn, but nice. um, yeah, we won't touch on, on Aquarius in this. And I'm a little bit familiar with the the myth of Ganymede, but not super familiar so i'd love to go with the obvious choice i think i think that that's that would be great yeah it's just it just brings up a, that complicated part of greek mythology where like is this you know Consensual. a story about rape is this a story yeah. about something that actually was like beneficial for this person like right but um right does like being transported to mount olympus is that what this person wanted yeah did they exactly. get a, did they get a say yeah, and I read something when I was reading back um that myth and stuff um of like one of the words that they they were translating from kind of just means like bartender or like tap like person who's pouring the tap and I was like so interesting to frame it that way of like he just becomes a bartender for the gods mm-hmm. <laughs> like maybe I could have a little bit more fun with that interpretation I guess it's so something funny yeah. about the gods like rolling up to the bar and just being like man <laughs> at a tough day again I mean just being yeah. like tell me about it here's some ambrosia <laughs> right um shot for you a shot for me i guess so what i was looking at was like there is yeah the ganymede myth and there's some other myths surrounding that same idea of just um the waters that are poured from the heavens and how those are important for our experience on earth um and but there's also there's like a predecessor to the water bearer and that's gula mm. and that's from the mesopotamian like babylonian era um and she was the great female physician mm. and yeah it's really cool to think about gula being this intermediary between death and life and that's not something we usually associate with aquarius 
like there is the Ganymede story, there is, you know, the water bear, but we can also go back further in time to see other ways that this was interpreted. And, mm. and it kind of, the way that she illustrated Gula as that part of the sky, like situated in there was more of like, instead of someone pouring water down, she was more like had her hands like in the stream of water and was kind of like praising the water or like bathing her hands in the water. So similar idea of like these nourishing waters coming from above. There's so many ways to view that of whether it's fog or like mist or whether it's rain coming down. That's Oh, that's the other thing that was, was like Aquarius is the time of year that like the floods would come and would, you know, nourish the the, the ground again by whether it was flooding rivers and moving the silt out or whether it was, you know, just bringing the rains and they're going to nourish us for spring again. Mm -hmm. um, just being able to tie back into that idea of timing in the year was like Aquarius, the rivers or the rains at the beginning of the year. And then we go all the way back around to Capricorn and that's the end of the year. Yeah, I can't help but think again about um, Alice Barkley Cat and postcolonial astrology and um, this idea of Aquarius as like being associated with technology mm -hmm. and like methods of carrying water. And I'm mm -hmm. reminded of like, and also this idea of justice and who gets access and this idea of, you know, you talked about reservoirs and you talked about aqueducts. And I'm also reminded of dams and how uh dams are used to hold and release water and how that how destructive that can be for communities mm -hmm. like historically yeah whole communities being destroyed because a dam was built or in certain places where uh people rely on rivers more strongly like a dam can literally be not having access to the river so like not having um not only a livelihood but not being able to live on that land anymore mm. because like the access to water is gone anyway those those kinds of like thoughts about like who gets the resource what effect does the technology have mm -hmm. um on all people not just the people we're considering in building the technology yeah i feel like i can get into that skeptical side of aquarius with some forms of technology too because I think our generation growing up, it's like we saw, you know, first it was VCRs and then it was like, oh, now DVDs are going to be the next big thing. Go buy it, switch over everything to DVDs. And then a few years later, it was Blu-ray. And then now people don't even really buy those things that much. And so I've just seen technology constantly like overturning and overturning and changing. So I kind of get a little yeah. skeptical when new things come along the way. I'm like, well, let's see how long it stands the test of time, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And that brings to mind this idea of access and ownership, because it's like, if you have a VCR, you literally have a piece of, like, you have an object. Mm -hmm. And if you have, like, like now, if you buy a movie from Amazon, you have digital access to that, and that could be retracted at any moment. You don't actually have a file or, you know, or like Spotify or iTunes, like all these things can just disappear overnight and i think we've been thinking about that a lot in relation to to twitter and like is twitter just going to implode and mm -hmm. we don't have this town square anymore where people communicate yeah these are definitely big questions as good old pluto enters aquarius <laughs> right i feel like that's gonna be quite revelatory yeah because like earlier in our conversation i was talking about how things were so different 10 years ago in regards to this or that and i'm like we're going to look back of the 21 years of Pluto and Aquarius and yeah, it's going to be a completely different world. Mm -hmm. 
not that it all changes in this next year or during the United States Pluto return, like it's hard to put these things on a timeline, but you know, we can see things are obviously continuing to shake and change ever since 2020. So we'll just have to see, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And try our, try our hardest to yeah, get the water where it needs to go. Yeah. It reminds me that I want to learn more about the great conjunctions and, uh, you know, that mm-hmm. Jupiter-Saturn conjunction that happened at the beginning of, probably right on top of your Saturn, right? Pretty much. Right near. Yeah. yeah. That was when I launched my, my business. Oh, cool. Yeah. Super A lot cool. of astrologers launched something that day. <laughs> mm, smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was wondering if we, if you wanted to move on to, to the next question and just talk about how uh, you've tracked the moon in relation to your emotional life and what mm-hmm. importance the moon has in, in your spiritual practice. Yeah, so um, I have noticed when the sun comes back around to Aquarius, or the sun, when the moon does, since my Saturn is there like right at the opening of Aquarius and then my moon is about eight eight or nine degrees later. Um, yeah, it usually starts out with like having to do some heavy emotional processing or... Mm. Like, say the day starts out with the moon and Capricorn, maybe I'm getting a little to-do list together of what I'm doing for the day, but then the moon inches in towards my natal Saturn, and something just kind of pulls me down and into mm. the into the emotions again of, like, whatever it may be. I don't know. I don't have a specific example, but it's usually some kind of, like, emotional processing, emotional resilience that needs to occur. And then after kind of working through that, whether it's, like, talking to my partner about it or journaling or... FaceTiming with a friend or whatever it may be, there's usually like this lightness and this freshness that comes back around. And it's like, oh, I'm kind of grateful that I took the time to process today and do this instead of that. And mm-hmm. so it's this really interesting thing where kind of like what you were saying, how you have the balsamic moon and how the balsamic light touching to your Mars might be different than a different kind of light. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost like I get this balsamic Saturn every month whenever the moon comes back around there. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it's truly balsamic but it's just feels like it's like that last push before things become new again before i hit my lunar return each month Mm, Um, yeah yeah, so that's how that's kind of shown up for me it's interesting too that you talk about ways of dealing with that situation all feeling very aquarian you know Mm -hmm. like journaling or (laughs) talking to a friend on like FaceTime. FaceTime, you know (laughs) that use of technology that use of like making sense of the of the ideas um Mm -hmm. and maybe it's not that maybe it's more of just like curling up and watching a show or something yeah like i i'm not like processing my emotions to a t every every time Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, but but yeah i mean i definitely had to just learn somatic strategies and ways of thinking and yeah i'm really grateful for somatic therapy for just like having an outlet to even describe what i'm feeling and I think that was a big part of it was just like finding frameworks and perspectives for emotions. Yeah. Having words for things is so important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I guess for like spiritual side of things, like, I mean, just seeing the moon itself as a spiritual experience and mm-hmm. kind of like what we were describing earlier and maybe not even seeing like, you know, people that are blind or have reduced vision, like they have their own felt sense of the moon, you know, mm-hmm. like on, how it feels on their skin when they go outside of like warmth versus coolness. And so, yeah, the, the moon is such a universal experience for, for all of us. Um, I guess 
for like actual practices of connecting with the moon there's been really great suggestions on the episode so far um love the the cheese suggestion from diana as well <laughs> um but it's it is it's like simple like that it's just yeah. like show up and and look at the moon and see what thoughts come up and but I, I guess i just wanted to share an actual like practice that helped me whenever i was kind of learning how to connect with plants more and mm -hmm. connect deeper and kind of get messages from the plant so um i took a course called intuitive plant medicine with asia suler and we can put that in the show notes and stuff absolutely yeah. um but asia suler is amazing and she really just kind of brings things down to like practical suggestions and advice and um essentially it's this idea of connecting your heart space with the plant or in this case a planet um so it's like say you've got an aloe vera in your yard and you want to connect with the aloe vera we'll just use that example again um it's like take the time to go and sit down with the plant and get used to being in its energy field and in the space with it very aquarius already mm -hmm. um but just taking time to settle in and then what you can do is tap into your own heart space and tap into the energy field of the plant or the planet mm -hmm. and then what you do is like extend your heart space outwards and move it forwards like closer to the plant until your heart space touches the plant or it touches the moon mm -hmm. and then just see what see what arises from there like on a felt sense or an emotional level but i feel like that little key right there of just like taking the time to get your heart in touch with the other mm. being or whatever it may be uh, is a really cool way to maybe move past the mind like what we we're talking about and move yeah. into the more what the spirit knows yeah and there was even a, a song i heard that was kind of like don't even think about what it means your brain will do that for you mm. so maybe not even judging what comes up or not even thinking too hard about what comes through but just feeling what comes up so i think that's an easy practice to do with the moon is yeah, next I time you see her in the sky just extend your heart up to the moon and see what happens yeah i love that suggestion um for like a way of engaging with the moon and the thing that comes to mind again i just want to give a shout out from my episode with uh madame angelique is like meta meditation and just using meta meditation as a way of getting in touch with your heart center, developing a relationship with your heart. And I think that, that these two practices can really go hand in hand because I haven't done this before, but I've done a lot of metta meditation. So I think it could be an easy extension of projecting that, like feeling that energy being, knowing what that energy is like and projecting that out. And so I'm definitely mm -hmm. going to use that you know, the next time I you know, work with the moon. Yeah, let me know how it goes. Yeah, I definitely will. Um, Okay, wonderful. Do you have anything you want to add or any imparting thoughts about the moon? Mm, I think that covers it. I think mm. we did it in like, what, four hours? We've <laughs> <laughs> nah, just like two-ish, two-something. Two-something. On par for your other episodes, too. I know. Yeah, totally. I've been trying to shorten <laughs> it down. I think I said on Twitter, like, I've been trying to shorten it and Saturn. It's just like, nah. If Jupiter got like two it. hours, I am getting more, getting more <laughs> yeah. than two. I like slow paced things. So uh, yeah, I'm into it. And people can always play at 1.25 speed if they want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's like, it's not like it's not um, rich. Like there's a lot that we cover. So I think like, I really appreciate the, you offering your time and 
you've been very, very generous with your time. I really appreciate it. Okay, so where can we find you? And is there anything that you're working on that you want to share with us? Uh, yeah, so on Instagram, I'm Hawthorne Rising. So Hawthorne, um, without the E at the end, it's Hawthorne.rising. Um, HawthorneRising.com as well for like my website and bookings. Um, right now, I don't have like any of my herbal products on there because this past year was just so much change for us fixed people that I didn't really have time to mm. do all the plant workings I wanted to do so um but through this Mars retrograde I've been gifted a whole new idea of how I want to put my herbal medicine out there and like what I want it to look Amazing. and feel like so love it and it has to do with the somatic healing that we've discussed here today so yeah just be on the lookout for that in the future um and I do have a different a couple of different kind of readings got like a birth chart and a solar return year ahead or like a three month ahead I really like the three month ahead sessions lately and then a few other kinds as well. So check those out if that intrigues you. And yeah, I have a podcast as well, um, Nectar of the Heart, and talking about astrology and herbalism and just living on the earth. And um, yeah. I definitely want to suggest people listen to your podcast because I found it really uh, helpful for me thinking about elementality and also like how that applies from astrology to other things like acupuncture and you know, those different disciplines that you spoke about. So I definitely suggest people listen to the podcast and um, wonderful. I'll link that all in the show notes. And I just wanted to say, Justin, thank you so much again for being on the podcast. I really appreciate all the time you've offered and um, all your wonderful insights. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. And I appreciate all your insights and reflections too. It's like, you've also got Aquarius placements. So had to make sure they resonate with you too. <laughs> Wonderful. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. To support the show by donating or becoming a member, please visit my website, which is linked in the show notes. And please subscribe to the show wherever you listen. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter. See those links in the show notes as well. If you have any questions or feedback on the show, please feel free to contact me via my website or email me at sphallhorary at gmail.com. In the show notes, you can also find links to astrologers and resources that we touched on in this episode. Thanks. See you next time.